1: everyone, to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick.
0: And I'm Eddie Wilson.
1: And before we get into the usual, you know, rigmarole and all that other good stuff, you can find us on social media, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at... The Marvelists. You can follow myself on Instagram and Twitter, at Peter Melnick. You can follow Eddie on Instagram, at... Eddie9193. You can also like me on Facebook, like me, people, like me. Facebook.com slash Podcaster, not po- pad, pod, pod... I don't know. Anyway, you can also... Eddie just looked confused. They may
0: accept that too. I don't know. They very well could.
1: But you can also find us on iTunes. Rate, review, and subscribe. Five star if you're ever so inclined. And much like the ice cream machine at McDonald's, four stars and below just does not work. Also... neither
0: you can't use triangles. You have to use stars, I guess. Five triangles. Just thinking of rainbows
1: shape. or blue moons, pots of gold. Uh, screw it, Lucky Charms people. That was the joke. Oh, okay. And they got new was... flavors now. Are they, they got new marshmallows? I mean, they're all the same flavor. There's a blue one. I thought. I know there's the, heart stars and horseshoes, clovers and blue moons, pots of gold, and rainbows, and the red balloons. I think it was the horseshoe. No, the horseshoes were purple. Uh, yes, they were correct. Okay. Anyway. Wow. <laughs> it's clovers and blue moons. That I was love what, Lucky what it was. Charms
0: though. Before they added all those extra marshmallows in there.
1: I mean. Well, well, I mean, it's a marshmallow, Eddie. You can still eat the marshmallows. They're still. Oh, be I the do. Same. They're
0: they're they're. I save them for the end. They're delicious.
1: So you 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 fish through, and you're like, all right. They added the fish oat- too. Stop that. You take the oats, and you're like, num 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 num. But if there's a one lone marshmallow that ends that up on your spoon, the you end. quickly throw it back out. Right. That's exactly right. Good.
0: Sorry, Not out man. of the bowl. So anyway. Well, the oat part will melt. You know, get mushy faster. So that's
1: very true. You can also listen to us on a wide variety of streaming platforms, including TuneIn Radio, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, Podbean, uh, what else? Uh, like Sound. SoundCloud. There we go. Yeah. yeah. Also, speaking of Stitcher, go over to WolverinePodcast.com and use the promo code at checkout. Marvelists. And, yeah, you get one free month of Stitcher Premium. People. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But when you do, like I said, you get to listen to a crap ton of audio content, and we think you'll enjoy it. But most importantly, you'll be able to listen to Wolverine, the Long Night, the and first Wo- one. And Wolverine, The, the Lost, Lost Trail. Trail. We wanted to do Echo <laughs> Echo, echo that for that one. And it almost worked. <laughs> kind of. It was it was like... A work was, in progress. Work in, work in progress. What, what happened there? I don't know. But, yeah, once again, WolverinePodcast.com, and use the promo code at checkout. Marvelists. And after that one free month of Stitcher Premium is over... Only... You can pay four ninety nine a month and stay on for that service, and we recommend you do. But if you don't want to, you can cancel at any time before the billing cycle is over for the first month of free. So, yeah.
0: First month of free.
1: First month of free. I
0: just never get track of that billing cycle. It happens. It's the fifth, it's the first, it's the sixth, seventh of the month. Who
1: knows? But, yeah. So, Eddie, this past weekend, as of this recording, on May 21st, 2019... I was at East Coast Comic Con. You were not there, but you were there in spirit.
0: That's all I could do,
1: <laughs> unfortunately. You you got to hang out with some Virginians in Virginia. A family.
0: it's a family commitment. Yes, and but it was for a good occasion. It was a celebration. It was a law school graduation. So, our nephew is schooled. was there a large
1: congregation?
0: Absolutely. In Rocky the ninety to ninety degree outdoor weather, yeah.
1: Because you're going at celebration graduation. I said congregation.
0: A lot of jubilation. Yes, I felt like that was an obligation.
1: Such a sensation.
0: That's a peppermint patty thing, isn't it? Taste
1: sensation. Sweeping the nation.
0: If you don't want the rainbow.
1: Exactly. But I was at East Coast Comic Con, and on Saturday, that Saturday, it was a three-day con, I wasn't able to make it for Friday, but I was there for Saturday and Sunday. And with that Saturday, I got to host a panel with the legendary writer of Jungle Action, Black Panther, Don McGregor. And that audio from that panel is going to be at the very end of this episode. It's going to be like our grand finale. And it's a grand finale that features me getting headlocked by Don McGregor. We have audio for that? So there's no photographs of it. Uh, There is audio, but there is no photographs of Don McGregor headlocking and playfully tussling with my hair. So, Playful to who? (laughs) Yes. But...
0: (laughs) Uncle, uncle, I can hear you say... (laughs)
1: But yeah, since then, that panel, in all honesty, was one of the best panels I've ever gotten to host, and from what I've heard afterwards at the uh, after party and everything, that was one of the biggest conversation pieces, so yeah.
0: The Saturday after party, very cool. Mm -hmm.
1: I was not there in attendance, I actually had to drive right back with our audio engineer John. What up, John Sherburn, to give a listen to his podcast, Nightcap, available on all iOS and Android devices. But in the evening only... No. Yes. But yeah, so we also have audio which we're going to lead into in a little bit with legendary Marvel inker Keith Williams. And Keith is a really good dude. I actually funniest thing was I met him at Big Apple Con for the first time in person. You know, we had like we kicked it off really well, had a nice conversation, then I go, "Hey Keith, let me add you on Facebook." We were already friends on Facebook. He said that to you? We both like we both realized. I look at my phone, I'm like Keith Williams. Oh, we don't need to worry about anything, Keith. He goes, why? We're already friends on there. So
0: you like, high-fived, hugged it out, whatever. Exactly. Yeah.
1: But Keith is one of the nicest and most, you know, just underrated talents in comic book history. So if you can, you see him at a con. And I believe he, he does a lot of the tri-state area shows. If you see him... Tell them we sent you.
0: Our tri-state area, the New York tri-state area. Let's get that.
1: Well, when you hear tri-state area, Eddie, in the United States, it's not going to be, you know, Oklahoma. It could
0: be those neighboring you don't know. You're not living there, are you?
1: Are you? No. D2. (laughs) Two? So, Eddie, before we get into all that audio, and also featuring an appearance by Mitch Halleck of Terrificon. Mitch! Uncasville's Terrific Comic Con at the Mohegan Sun Casino. From August 9th to August 11th this year, we want to talk to you folks at home about what happened with Avengers Endgame. There's kind of a big deal with that right now.
0: Bigger than already?
1: So, there have been a lot of articles going around. It's a lot of clickbait. They'll like get you to click on the link and be like, oh, here's this. Turns out, it's not really the truth in the headline. Click... So, Clickbait, yeah, you call where it, where they bait you into clicking on a link okay. so they can get ad, you know, ad revenue, etc. And so, they've been making people believe this, and it's not true. Avengers: Endgame has beaten Avatar in terms of box office revenue ah. in the United States. Avengers: Endgame needs about one hundred million dollars more to beat, of, v- Avatar.
0: So it didn't happen. As of yet.
1: Correct. But it did beat Avatar in the United States. Which is really impressive in its own right. And, you know, this past weekend, John Wick Chapter 3, Parabellum, that was the number one movie in the country. And, again, for good reason. I saw John Wick opening weekend. Fantastic movie. But does... I don't know. Do you see Avengers Endgame beating Avatar, do you see it getting $100 million before its you know run is over?
0: And when is the run over? That kind of goes along with it. That's I, the thing. It might
1: know. be done around the time of uh, Spider-Man. I don't see it getting $100 million before the end of uh, June.
0: Yeah, no, and it's third. I didn't look at this past weekend, but and it's at least third weekend. It just, you know, it, it came down. No,
1: Endgame has been in theaters for about no, I I'm t- I'm not, four I don't mean- weeks now. Four or five
0: weeks. Well, I'm saying in its its third weekend of revenue, it came down in terms of what it brought in, and something something else surpassed it. Um, So it's losing some steam or momentum or whatever. So how much more can it go past four four weeks or so? I
1: there are a lot of people out there that are willing to go and try and get this to beat everything. Okay. Mm -hmm. So there is. A lot of people that Disney probably really loves right now that are going to see this movie repeatedly. Sometimes I wouldn't even doubt if they're like, you know what, I'm going to do an AMC A-list reservation and not go to it so they can get money for the movie.
0: Um. Okay. Yeah, I guess there there are those people. Yeah.
1: It's absolutely wild, mm-hmm. and I would say, again, this is the s- same thing. You know, a few years ago back that I criticized for Batman v Superman and Dawn of Justice because that movie wasn't really that good. So people going out of their way to make a big deal about this and go and see this as many times as humanly possible, it's a three-hour movie. That's quite an investment for the average movie going public.
0: Endgame. Now, yeah. they cut down BVS...
1: To, yeah, they removed to, the V what and it? now it's just BS.
0: Oh man, I set myself up. So sorry. Yeah, yeah. You're fine. So sorry. I'm trying to avoid the colon. But they cut it down where they could have added another, what, half hour to that movie to make it make more sense. No. It, I thought it was discussed then.
1: They they have the uh, ultimate cut or whatever. The There's a director's cut that was released afterwards, whatever, and it's extended. And the I think it's the ultimate edition. Where you they know, went, you know the they f- went
0: there and called it that. Yeah, okay. not well,
1: deluxe, not directors, but ultimate. ultimate. I believe, yeah. Whew. Now here's the thing about this that movie, and again, it's hey, we're doing a Marvel podcast. I'm going to criticize a DC movie. What a shock! But Zzz. yeah, but with Batman v Superman: Cole, and Dawn of Justice, <laughs> the. Do you remember the scene with the uh, cameraman in the beginning who gets killed? With Lois Lane, he's with uh, Lois vague. and he gets shot. Okay, vaguely, yeah. In the extended yeah. or ultimate whatever cut, they end up revealing who he was. And? Jimmy Olsen. Jimmy Olsen. So they kill Jimmy Olsen in their movie.
0: And they don't really even bother to identify Because, bro, it's
1: dark and gritty. Hi, I'm Zack Snyder. I just want you all to know it's very dark and gritty. Uh, because no, that's fine. It could be dark and gritty, but, but you don't. Get to know who it is. No, no, bro. It's gotta be dark and gritty. It's got we gotta show that one shot of Martha Wayne's pearls just going down. Why did you say her. that name? Exactly because she' dead, yo. Oh. I don't know why I just turned what I turned him into, but yeah, I just I don't understand that movie sometimes. Like there are people out there who love it, and guess what? Again, it is wonderful to like a movie. It's all right to like a movie. To quote the guys from We Hate Movies. You can like a movie; it's fine, <laughs> but the level of like obsession over it, where they wanted it to be the, they wanted people wanted it to be all the Marvel movies, it did not.
0: Yeah, I can understand the the, uh, the competitiveness team, of yeah, it, the team and
1: mentality. Yeah, yeah, okay. But on the flip side, I do want to see Avengers <laughs> Endgame, and I realize I'm being a friggin' hypocrite but i do want to see it beat avatar because avatar sucked <laughs> and i i get it it was a unique thing that we got to see for the first time in a long time a real 3d movie and from a visual standpoint avatar is gorgeous looking but for me watching it on my laptop years later no yeah i didn't care yeah. it was a, it was all sizzle no substance
0: like extra crispy bacon that I don't care for, maybe. Yes. Okay. I need like
1: some. The way Don McGregor like needs, likes his chewy,
0: bacon, by needs the some chewy needs some chewiness to it. What extra crispy? Yeah, he likes extra crispy. It's all crumbly. Then it's just yeah, uh, it's, it's not the way I like it. Sorry. Well, well,
1: Don does, and I agree with Don. So you had breakfast with Don. I, I got. Did, it. I did not, but I heard about his breakfast order. You heard about his order? Give it to me now. <laughs> but anyway, bring one, it. Once again, the thing is. I do want to see this movie win because Avatar was very much a blah movie. And again, it is okay to like a movie. I understand there's a lot of people out there that love Avatar. And again, it is a gorgeous movie. I just don't think, in a lot of ways, Avatar is the equivalent of like the traveling show movie from like, you know, the 1940s, 1950s. You have to see this. This is amazing. Like what Gone with the Wind was back
0: then. Yeah, well, maybe then you also only had one thing coming out in a, 6 months let's say. Yeah. So this was a thing to do see talk about etc. And Avatar
1: Avatar was in theaters co- for a long
0: time. Yeah, no, I I and I was not in the theaters when that was out, so I'm I'm Avatar less. You can say it was a very blah movie. All I can tell you it was a very blue movie. Stop in that. in the well, am I wrong?
1: No, you're
2: not.
0: Not in terms of mood, just in terms of visual appearance.
1: But yeah, it was very much a blah movie and this is why I I feel like Endgame, Endgame is one of the perfect Marvel movies because you have the right level of action, you have the right level of callbacks, where it's not too in your face, but it's there, you know?
0: I think Endgame broke ground in terms of the phrase callback. Never that's, heard that. Yeah, un- I never really heard that term until now.
1: Yeah, that, that's... Again, that was what it was. It was, a, like I said, a callback movie. hmm And... I enjoyed it, and I will continue to say it was the best Marvel movie that they've put out from Marvel Studios.
0: It was worth the risk of going that long. Yeah, absolutely. Of a, a runtime.
1: Yes, And on the other side, we have one more movie coming out, and I pre-ordered my ticket for it today, but I'll be completely honest, and I'm not making a joke right now. I keep forgetting that Dark Phoenix is coming out the first or second or the first week of uh June, June seventh. June I keep forgetting that. Even though we're doing here's the big announcement for the next month, we're doing X Men month. Yeah. So we're gonna be covering all of the movies from that trilogy. So we're gonna be doing first class, Days of Future Past, yeah. Apocalypse, and we're doing hey. Dark Phoenix. So we're gonna be doing also some little book club episodes. We're figuring stuff out. We got we got some cool stuff planned ahead
0: that's that's pretty much what it's gonna be though so good start.
1: But the thing is with this movie with you know Dark Phoenix, I keep forgetting this movie is coming out I keep I keep thinking it's an August movie. I don't know why I just do
0: All right well maybe now I haven't been watching or seeing too much I'm seeing more checking Facebook and you know stuff like that than seeing anything on TV but are we not seeing trailers? There there like was a new trailer
1: be? recently released and I don't believe I've seen it.
0: Right, there was a tra- right, but, but Wait, since no, then. Wait,
1: no, I did see the new trailer. I went to see, I think I saw the trailer right before John Wick 3. So I did see the new trailer. Okay, like, okay fine. Okay, it's fine.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, fine. But again, is it absent from what it should be what should be happening now? Is it being publicized and I would assume maybe let's go with after Memorial Day during that week? It will be having stars on the TV talk show circuit, that kind of thing.
1: I don't know. I mean... That's
0: usually the way it goes, I thought.
1: But this is also the last remnant of the Fox movies, like one of the final movies.
0: Yeah. Whoever. Yeah, but that's if you want to get the word out and really create the buzz, then Bzz. I think that's the way you go.
1: I mean, again, I'm fine with the movie. I think it'll if they're trying... I'll give them an opportunity I'm not I don't go into these movies going I'm gonna hate it I'm gonna hate it I'm gonna hate it
0: wait a minute a while ago what movie was it though you you posted please don't suck please don't suck Wonder Woman I think no, it was no
1: it, it was not Wonder Woman it was
0: was it Batman I <laughs> want to say
1: it was Aquaman I but it might it was, have been Wonder
0: Woman. I, I think, yeah, because this was like looking at the the movie to be like, okay, let's get let's get DC though. on the board finally, or really in a good, respective, respectful way, or whatever. Yeah, respectable—that's the word.
1: And looking back at it, Wonder Woman is pretty average. <laughs> that's my, I can't, apparently it's a hot take, but it's an average movie to me. It's, it's on an par. Average with- Average hot take. It's okay. an average Marvel movie, pretty much in terms of storytelling wise. You know what I mean? It's like. It would be on par with, like, the first Captain America. Average. Good movie. Not the greatest. No, no, they were they were good. They were very good. I'm saying it's a good movie, but it's average. Yeah, well,
0: they, then that doesn't play into the same sentence or review. Good
1: could be average, Eddie. <laughs> so I just think the idea of, like, a meh movie is Incredible Hulk is Iron Man 3, Thor, The Dark World, which, boy, what an appropriate title that was. But there's, like, those movies are on par with, I would say, Aquaman. But again, Aquaman, gorgeous movie to look at. Yeah. Great nap. No. uh, AMC put out some really nice recliner chairs for us. I didn't find myself
0: nodding off for that for Aquaman. I was caught up in the visualness of it. I think it moved pretty well. Maybe you could have trimmed a few minutes off of it.
1: I don't I don't know. That's it. I just feel it was... Maybe it's also because I'm not an Aquaman fan. You're, I'm not an
0: Aqua fan, Eddie. You're not an Aqua fan.
1: I'm an aqua, not Aquafina either. Aqua Velva? No? Aqua the
0: band. First you got a... Sh- aqua the band, Barbie girl. Ay-y. But... What's that, 1987, I'm going to go say? I don't know. 87? What
1: 1997. Yeah, there we go. I stuttered. How dare you, sir? It happens. But in the meantime, people, you've heard us ramble enough. Let's listen to me ramble with a bunch of other people. First off, we're going to go over to our audio with the promoter of Terrificon, Uncasville's Terrific Comic Con in Connecticut from August 9th to 11th at the Mohegan Sun Casino. It's a recurring trend. Mitch Hallick. It's good. So we are at East Coast Comic-Con Day 2. We weren't here for Day 1, but we are here for Day 2. And I'm with somebody that I've known for a while, and the lost audio is going to be redone for this instead. I was I was good that day. I was... on. That is true, that is true, but the audio fell into the ether, it, it fell into the soul stone. It, it turned into Tony Stark's ass. I don't know. It, I'm just trying to, like, word things, and... You're trying to be
3: apologetic, I think, is what you're trying to say. So you and I were talking, like... Did you introduce who I was yet?
1: Well, we're going to get to that, Oh, okay, that really I'm just wondering how you
3: do your style here,
1: you know, audio is such a visual... Medium. Well, the person we are having here right now is the guy who is responsible for the terrific Comic Con in Uncasville. Okay, you got it. In
3: Uncasville at the Mohogan Sun. Actually, it's named after the Mohegan warrior king, Uncas. So don't go be dissing my
1: Uncasville. No, that is true. Unkis. That, is, that is very true. Mitch Halleck, Terrific how are you doing today? I'm fine. I kind of made, like, terrific on your name in that, by the way. That's fine.
3: It kinda, I'm going to give one-word answers like Mike Mignola did to me. That was the,
1: That's why I shut the interview off. I Go met ahead. him years ago. Yeah. And I remember he was like, yeah, I had dinner with the Walking Dead cast. And I'm like, oh, yeah? He's like, yeah, they were, they were on the other side of the building, but I had dinner with them. I'm like, smart guy. I yeah. like that. It makes perfect sense. Yes. So, how dare you, sir? How dare you? So, a lot's happened since I saw you last. We ended up having a game that ended. And as the king of the nerds, what do you think? you got to have more than one word for that.
3: I one. know, I'm just staring at you. <laughs> that was clever of you. About the, about the film called Endgame? Yes. It was a movie. They it were. was in color, and it talked. It wrapped 22 movies up in one big, 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 big movie. Dude, what? And I liked movie. it.
1: I saw it five times. I've only seen it three now, mm. but... Every time it's just it's you see
3: something different, yeah. You think it's gonna be slow but then it gets kicks in like a roller coaster and you're
1: in for a ride. So obviously this interview or this, you know, segment, whatever it is, it's an interview segment, just a conversation. This thing we're doing
3: right now? Eh, This thing of ours? Yes. Yeah. Well it's the onion bagel smell is starting to get me high, so Yeah? Yeah. Onions make you high? Basically. I'm a low key guy. They they
1: don't It all rhymes.
3: Let's go. Five guys. I'm a
1: hoe. Oh. They're going, we're rhyming that one now No I, I gave
3: know. up I'm onto something else I have uh, What is that Short term uh, DSD thing ADA
1: the, Yeah the Nintendo I DS yeah, good Yeah system. exactly I love One that. of those oh, acronyms Something like oh, that Oh so Thor. many good games right. Thor
3: Anyway so I'm watching Jim Starlin The sun is shining off his head Like a soul stone It's gleaming And then Perez is next to him And then it's Rubenstein's next to him All these guys are bald Except for Ron Lim Who's got rock star hair He really does He really does
1: But anyway so yeah. Endgame Yeah did you notice yeah. that in one scene the Hulk is eating hulka hulka burning?
3: Yeah, flesh? I saw that. I saw that, that. yeah. That Howard was, the Duck
1: shows the ta- up. Howard
3: the Duck did show up, yes. What are
1: some things that you've seen that, you know, not many people are, like, catching on to?
3: In the movie? Uh, yeah. Let me see. What did I notice? The, the ice cream? Uh, I was trying to figure out what type of beer that Thor was dr- drinking. Somebody identified it. Oh, did they? Yeah. Okay. Um, Oh, the one that he's sitting in the kitchen table at the Avengers Mansion? Every single beer got identified. Every single one. Oh, here's one I want to know. Were the Ravagers at the big finale? Yes. I was was wondering if I I saw them, but was uh, Craglin with them? Was Sean Gunn? He's credited. No, he's credited as Rocket Raccoon. And Craglin. Oh, craglin has got a... See? I think so. When they did a big cash shot, I saw somebody look like him. It wasn't him, though. He was in the green suit, so maybe they had a stunt guy dressed as him. A stunt craggling. A stunt craggling. But why would the Ravagers be there? Did they all get disappeared too? Probably. I mean, some disappeared, some didn't. So, mm-hmm. all those spaceships, I was wondering. Your guy, John, is so talented, he's shooting video and photos as he's recording. Dude is like two, a, I was
4: doing two cameras
3: at the last time. <laughs> he's like a freaking octopus, man. You should octopus. learn from him.
4: If it all comes out bad, it doesn't really matter. Oh, then <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> blame
3: <laughs> Peter for that. How dare you? Yes, yes. I noticed that. Uh, what other things did I see in that film? Uh, you know, did you just hear that thing I posted or here? Did you just see the thing I posted about Stan Lee being the old guy sitting at the bench at the end? That's yeah, we, how it was supposed to that. Oh, wasn't that cool? It's such it, a wo- neat idea. Wouldn't that have been fun if it was him at the end? But how would it have worked? Like Cap disappears, goes back with Peggy, and then they look over and see Stan at the end and he just goes, "Oh, hi." Or, w- or I was t- or would he have been sitting next to Steve Rogers on a bench? Just talking about visiting all the. I want to
1: play Parcheesi, Steve. Why are you? No, well, taking... what?
3: How are they, you, I don't think that was really ever going to happen.
1: Mm-mm. Honestly, a I lot think of that like was fan. It, yeah, it's fan service. It was yeah. like dream fan service. Yeah, exactly. In all honesty, somebody said this on like a Facebook comment or on Reddit. I forgot where, but What's that? it was perfect. They go, "If the fans got their way with everything, all of the Avengers would be played by Nathan Fillion." Yeah, that's true. Even Black Widow. Yeah. So. I, I don't... Again, I don't mind... Kevin Smith said every
3: sequel is a fan service. Because they made the original. They don't have to make any more. The second you make a sequel, you're only doing that because there's a fan base that wants to go see it. So, in essence, that's fan service. It's always been that
1: way. I'm actually curious. Is that a... It is a pop vinyl uh, lanyard. That's cool.
3: It is cool. Yeah, I know. Those are cheap. I'll probably bring my Guardians one tomorrow. Yeah. But anyway, yes. So, all, all things are fan service. Yeah. Good or bad.
1: And I mean... It is all about the fans, and when you think about it, Cheap Plug Ski, but Terrificon is for the fans, and I've noticed that over the years, like it is always one of like hailed as one of the best cons in the Northeast. That's because I'm a big 52-year-old fanboy, and, and I only get the people I like. You get yeah, you give the people what they want, and like I would not be surprised if you got Al Ewing. Al Ewing is like the I hot know, writer. right?
3: And see it would be bad like if i did see i do not know anything about horror shows i think we've talked about right i don't know anything about horror conventions or i know walking dead that's about it i don't know spooky stuff so if i went and did a horror show
1: but i have to ask you are you scared you ain't scared of no ghosts no
3: good i never liked ghostbusters Mm. i saw it when it came out i was like
1: it's okay now one of one of your conditions with terrificon is i have to like the artists and they have to be comic-centric Yes, it's... Yes. So my question... Which guests are you going to question me about? Ghostbusters. Would you ever have Ghostbusters-centric guests? They've had Ghostbusters comics.
3: The guy that played the uh, Arnold Peck, or whatever his name was, the jerk that was from the movie, the man who had no penis... Yes. He's from Orange, Connecticut, which is the town next to me. So I technically could bring him in only because he's a hometown guy. Yeah, but no. Dan Aykroyd could be a guest because he was in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And Garfield. And Garfield. No, that's. Oh, Bill yeah, oh sorry, Bill Murray. So Bill Murray has. Bill Murray as the Garfield And Ernie thing. Hudson, the crow. Yeah. So technically, you can get all your, your. Your comic one-stop stop shopping. Yeah. So I can bring that. But I'm just talking about if I did a horror show. And I can say, oh, I got this guy here. I'm getting the guy that played Jason. His name is Derek something. I can't think of him right now. Of the something family. The Very distinguished. The only reason why I'm getting him is he's the new Swamp Thing on really? the DC Universe. I'm announcing that this week. So you got to... If you don't lose this audio, you could announce that before I announce it. So it's your exclusive. Right. So, yeah, the only reason why he's coming to my show now is because he's Swamp Thing. And Prior if- to that, I had no interest in him because I don't like... Friday, it's my cup of tea.
1: You and I were talking off mic about like the whole concept of what would a fan want for yes. a convention.
3: Yeah, what do you want? I think I'm pretty good at guessing so far because that's what I... Here's another thing. I actually walk around to the booths today yes. to see vendors that do stuff that I don't usually have at my show. Like, I saw some artwork. This guy was putting little action figures in coffins, which I thought was cool. So I walked up to him and gave him my uh, card and said, you should get a table only because I think it's cool. Yeah. Not that everybody else is cool, but I I go out and if there's unusual artwork that I think the fans might want to buy from this guy that they haven't been exposed to, I'll go up to those people and say, I think you should do my show only because that's cool. See, I'm a sucker for Lego stuff. Oh, I love
1: those things. The minifigs. What's her her name does the Lego stuff? Comic Folds. No, at uh, TruffleCon. She's there. Holly? Holly, yeah, She's Holly. She's such a yeah, freaking yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: sweetheart. Shout out to Holly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have so many of those things on my desk. It's crazy. And? Because I don't have
1: the patience to put those big Lego sets together, my, even though I want the little figures. My thing is with the minifigures, there's a lot of, you know, the bootleg ones or fan custom-made ones. Yeah, but yeah. I don't here, get that either. I he, just like them. But here's the thing about them. I love those because yeah. they're giving us characters we may not have any other right. way. Oh, no. There's so many obscure I own Spawn Oh, I bought
3: a Peggy Carter one as Captain America. Oh, they have them. Oh, oh yeah. I got Captain America in a Hulkbuster outfit. It was all painted like a red, white, and blue. And inside there was a little cap. Dude,
1: I've been I've been prone to getting ones that are like just specific to the MCU, mm-hmm. and occasionally like you know characters that you know we may not see. Right. But, like I love that I have all of the defenders. I have a I bunch of that.
3: Mysterio ones. I haven't gotten Mysterio yet. Because the new movie's my- coming out, and I'm, again, I love the Lego, but. I don't have time to put that thing together for and pay $25 for one little figure I want.
1: I will say one thing though, with, because you and I are both creative types. So you're a graphic designer, I'm a graphic designer. Yes. I stole this belief from Trey Parker. The guy from uh, South Park? Yeah.
3: You want one of these? And I'm not oh. doing that because I always talk about this. If somebody starts eating a mint while they're talking to you, are they trying to tell you you have ass breath? If they do, it's kind of cool. But, because I, I had garlic bread last night, and, you know, because I'm Italian and that's what we do. Buongiorno. But... Anyway, back to the story already in progress.
1: The other thing, though, about this is, like, you know, Trey... Are we still talking Legos? Yes, with Trey. There's the South Park documentary that came out uh, 10 years ago. I never watched South Park. Well, the documentary is good because it talks about how they, you know, take a week to do an episode. Oh, that's it? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. That's why they're so topical with the news and this, that. And the other thing... Is Trey talks about how he'll buy a Lego set? Yeah. To clear his mind because he's doing what they're coming no, to true. do. No, that is true.
3: That is true. Like I'll be home working on the shows and stuff. I used to buy the smaller Lego sets. They're like five or nine dollars, and they're like really easy. Like I don't know, two hundred pieces, just to do something physical yeah. with your fingers, and you run, and it gets you
1: out of it. It's mindless, but it, it helps.
3: You know what's weird? It's like taking a shower. Yeah. And the, the reason why I say this is, a shower is so robotic. You go in, you know what you're doing, you put the hot water on, the steam, it's kind of relaxing, you're putting the soap and shampoo, but I usually think of like crazy ideas for the show, like I'll say like, oh, we should build this kind of statue, yeah, 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 and all of it comes together within like five minutes of the shower, and then when you get out, then you have to quickly write it down, because you'll forget it, it's like waking up from a dream, like that's the greatest thing ever, I forgot what I was talking about.
1: The Terrificon is like one of those shows that are very on the pulse as well Mm -hmm. with a lot of things, sometimes things, like, you know, I believe you had Iron Fist.
3: Yeah, uh, before the show actually came out, and then people didn't like the show when it came out. But I didn't know when I booked them because I loved Iron Fist as a kid. The story.
1: But again, you've had way more hits than misses. Like, I had
3: Mantis. Yeah. Last year, no one booked her. She now she's at all these shows. I'm like, we had
1: her before anybody. Did. And she was cool to me. Like yeah. really chill, yeah, really yeah. nice person. Yeah, Palm Palm Clemente. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And. Like again, you know, with the whole more. History. I had Billy
3: Dee Williams come to the show before they announced Lando, ah, and damn. I was on the way to Maryland and at the Star Wars celebration. And put the tra- I pulled off in Jersey at a uh, uh, what do you call a roadside place rest stop, and uploaded the ar- I had the artwork ready to go. I had the press, you know, the write up because I knew they were going to release the trailer, and I hope they were going to show Lando. And as soon as you see this, the the star come back, uh, the, hybrid space, the <laughs> I'm like. Dude! And I was like yeah. getting chills, uploading it, and it went crazy. Like thousands of people were like Lando is coming into Terrific God! And, and then I got notes from people like you dude did you know that was happening? How time? And I go, hello, marketing, 30 years,
1: been doing this for a living, got a paycheck, didn't fall off a hay truck, know how this works. And the thing about it that I really like though is yeah. when Infinity War came out. It was a few months. Con comes a few months after, and you were. We, it was a con in the post Infinity War world. Right, Thanos was a huge villain. Yeah. and Speaking of huge, we and speaking had a of Thanos, fourteen foot
3: Thanos statue custom-built for the show. That was incredible to see. No other show has that because I went to the guy and said, here's an action figure. Make this. So he scanned it in and they cut it out of foam and they painted it and they built that thing. Starlin, who's standing 10 feet away from us, wants it at his house on his front lawn. I can totally see that. I know, right? But he lives way up in the woods and they probably have ordinances against that stuff. Yeah, there it is right there. It's absolutely crazy. We have a photo. This is a podcast, but Spencer Beck, man of many talents. Yeah, that's the shot of Starlin sitting in front of it. Isn't that cool? This year we got to skirt it, though. I don't like the way you can see that metal. But though. Starlin will That's be, or not Starlin, uh, Thanos will be Thanos making his return. Thanos is back. Yeah, we actually, last time I was talking to the guy about what he wants to build this year. What, he Thanos? He wants to build a giant man coming out of the ground, like he's coming through the floor, just the top of his head. You know what I I'm would I'm like, be, really? You know what I would be more curious to see? A what? life-size Hulk. We were talking about that, but he was going to hold terrific kind of, like Stranko did. Immortal Hulk number one. Really? All, All right. right. Well, maybe we'll do hey, that then. Al Ewing is hot right now. Like, he, I was also thinking a Batwing, but I don't know. See. Because it's the 30th anniversary.
1: And we can talk about things like this on here. It's it's Batman and everything, but you know what I I'm about a lot talk of to talk about, John. Go well, ahead. What I'm going to go on about is. I'm just going to drink. Go ahead. It's fine. With fans going on about complaining about certain casting choices, decisions that they make, but without even seeing the movie. Oh, this Robin Pattinson? Yeah. Yeah, what about it? I never saw a Twilight movie. I've never
3: seen the man act, so I can't judge about his ability. But I'm like, look, I'm going to see the guy, the the costume. Mm -hmm. I'm basically going to see the costume, okay? Mike Kingston. The the mouth. I could care less with,
1: yeah. Michael Kingston of Headlock. He made the comment. He goes... You do realize they're going to make forty-three more Batman movies, anyway. This guy's just getting his turn right now. It's like James Bond. It's just another guy in a tuxedo. That's why, oh. like, it also ties into Marvel. We're eventually going to see another Wolverine in our lifetime. You'll we'll see another
3: Iron Man someday
1: too. Yep. Your lifetime. I'll be long dead
3: by then. Do you think
1: there'll ever be another Iron Man yes. like in the next? Oh 20, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm years? That, that kid.
3: The reason why you saw that kid, Harley. Yeah. Is because he's going to be Iron Lad or something. Yep. There's no reason why that kid should show up in that. Iron Pip Boy. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, y'all.
1: Because they had a connection. I mean, there's so much that we don't know about the MCU right now in regards to what's next and what they could do. And Correct. a lot of people have been going on, what's next? What do you think is next? I think Jack of Hearts is going to get his
3: own movie. So speculators go out and turn those dollar bucks into $300 pieces of crap. You're an evil ass and I no, appreciate it. No, no. I love I that costume as a kid. Perez, who's over there, drew that costume. So, I like his him. Wonder Man. Yeah. No, I hated that Wonder Man with that red jacket and the sunglasses. That oh, come on. That was a great comic. Jim Steranko Do you want to talk about famous? You know you're sitting with somebody in the MCU? Yeah. Uh, in the Marvel Comic Universe, technically. Spencer Beck, if you look in the Avengers comic book, when Janet Van Dyne was a model, who's Janet Van Dyne's agent in comic books? Spencer Beck is. Spencer Beck is. That's awesome. That's true. What issue was that? The giant man. I Giant said you're Man part of Man. the a living Marvel mm-hmm. Cinematic mm-hmm. guy right here. The, the George Perez did a four-issue backup of Giant Man in the back of the Avengers. And there's a panel in it where you see for the first time ever, you see she's standing in front of the doorway of her agent. And it has half my name, half my last name, and then half my business name. On the door. On the doorway that she's standing in front of. So there, of. he's That's part cool. of the Marvel Cinematic. Well, not the Cinematic uh, in the, the He's series. in 616. Universe, where they just have text. Oh, the book? book? They're redoing yeah. that one. Yeah, but it, well, it's just a text in the back. It's just a yeah, 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 yeah. That's Spencer
1: Beck, the artist. So Spirit there Jack you King go.
3: That's cool. That's weird. He's like a living embodiment
1: of a Marvel person. I'd love to be in a Marvel comic. I know but people that have shown should. up in Maybe um, that's... Also, the oh, here we identity go. identity
3: of Superman, also. And what? Giffen and Jurgent were doing Superman was... Uh, I forgot what their name They used it, but it was, there's, they took one letter out of my name because DC wouldn't let them use my action name no oh, really? because they know... Oh, really? They didn't want to get a check? So they took, they took one letter... They have to give me a check. Right. So they took one letter out of my name, and they made it the story for three issues.
4: Lois Lane thought she was dating
3: Superman. And it was, it it was Spenner Bick. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was Spinner. They, they That's funny. And who thought of the kiln in Guardians of the Galaxy? Who named it? Are you serious? Yeah. That's so cool. Because Keith not, Giffen... When, gif- yeah. when Giffen started killing chickens... That he's, man is a chicken Spencer murderer. Oh, he's insane. It was scary. All night long, I kept Game thinking about all those kill. animals. He, he killed. did not. He intentionally. Did not kill. Intentionally. It was an accident on the highway. Exactly.
1: Gravity that, did it. Yeah, gravity did it. So the chickens are dead is what you're getting at.
3: The chickens were run over by about 100 cars. They're dead. They're dead and oh, oh, that's even worse. Stop it. Peter, do you own a piece of original artwork or would like to buy some and parse in your collection? Golly G. willikers here, sure. Well, I bet there's only one place you should go to do that, and that would be the artist's choice. Ask for it by name. Find representative of George Perez, Scott Hanna, Mark Bagley, Ron Lim, Jim Starlin, and many, many more. How many, many more? Thousands. It's a galaxy <laughs> full. In fact, the website reminds me of the limitless features of outer space. So, I'll, I'll go tonight and buy your own original artwork. Tell them Spencer sent you. There's your plug.
1: Hey Spencer. Spencer sent me. Spencer sent
3: me. Yeah. There will no be discount. You you pay an additional thirty percent now if you say Spencer sent me. So there. That seems like a terrible deal. For no, you should more. get original artwork. I've wanted to for a long time. Where was he? He had an original artwork. He went up to uh Howard Shaken last night and asked who drew it. And it was Guy, who was it, Morrow? Who, was that, who did the artwork last night? It, uh, Howard did.
1: Chaykin did the pencils, and Gray Morrow, Gray Morrow that's did him. the inks, and it was for National Lampoon Magazine.
3: That's right. We were uh, trying to figure yeah, it out what it was. Yeah, because
1: you didn't think it was him. I thought it was Because <laughs> the face was too good. I know. I was like, that's <laughs> not good. That's not you. Yeah, you were like, that's too clean of a face. And then and Howard Chaykin, Chaykin was, was like, yeah. Morrow can make me look good. Chaykin and I have a <laughs> love-hate
3: relationship that goes way back. So now uh, It's almost Kilmer time. Go on. We're good. Well, I'm just checking. When it's Kilmer time, what do you I do? Will. I'm just going to go up with the poster and ask Mr. Kilmer to hold it and take a picture with it. And I'll promote my show where Val will be appearing on August 9th to the 11th.
1: Wait a minute. Wait a,
3: yes, it's a terrific minute. Con. Yeah, it's at
1: Comic-Con. Is that the Terrific Comic Con in Uncasville, Connecticut? That's Not right. Not Uncas, right. but Uncas?
3: At the Mohegan Sun Expo Center. 380,000 square feet of pure Comic Con love and fun. August 9th? To the 11th. 11th. All right, three days. Tickets on sale now. This podcast is the marvelous podcast that Mark Ruffalo himself has been on, right? Yes, sir. Oh, that's a pen or is that a pipe? What, is, what did they just give Jim Sterling? Uh, I think it was a pot pipe. It
0: looks
3: like a bowl, Do, yeah. yeah. right? I think that's what it was. I think it was being to, the week. Something's going on. Oh, it's a Thanos toy. I didn't know. I don't know what it was. I know, it was I, normally, shiny.
1: I know I normally confuse Thanos with pot pipes. <laughs> yeah,
3: that's all right. Infinity butt plug. Jesus! What? No, I
1: just thought Ant-Man. of that. That's Ant-Man.
3: That's an adult, uh, adult item. Oh! Oh, for the Ant-Man. That's right. When they thought he was going to shrink down and go in his tuckus. Yeah.
1: I can't believe that that was a thing, and no, I it actually was. had to do an episode briefly talking. I about I heard that. about
3: that once. I got through your uh, two hours of advertisements. You yeah. stop that. <laughs> All right. But what else do you want to know? What's going on with the show? I want to know what love is. Yeah, that's Why Tina Turner. Show right here in front of all these people? <laughs> I really... Sure, I got 15 minutes to kill. Shouldn't take that long. I get excited fast. Simon Bisley owes me 5 or $6. You know that? And you know what I told him? I said, oh, when well, that Lobo check comes in, you can pay me. He's like, blah, <laughs> <That's> Simon Bisley.
0: <laughs> is he a constable now? <laughs> <laughs> good, good job, Holmes.
3: Good job. Oh, yes. Jesus. Oh, yes. Oh, this is just, just degenerating to nothing. Fast forward right now. People are probably zooming to the end to get to those offer codes for Spotify. How dare you, sir. Mm. Anyway.
1: Mitch, it was an
3: absolute pleasure. You never told me what you want to see in a comic show. You just kind of rambled, but you didn't stay on target. I love this. Okay. okay see, okay, I'm Red directing leader. this in my head. I'm listening to you going, well, wow, in, in man. I've been doing podcasts since 2007, son. We were the pioneers. It was there was a pie in your ear? Yeah, we were that. That's right. Solid gold air candy, baby. So what I want Twelve to see at conventions.
1: I love seeing a mixture of new and old comic creators. I yes. love seeing some of the actors of stage and screen. Yes. And in regards to
3: actors, what haven't you seen? Let's talk about not what you like to see, but
1: I've what have you a, yet to see at a show that you want to see? A man eat his own head. No, come on, be realistic. I, I'm. I would have to go with more of the Marvel actors. Like I, there's I see more of the Marvel what actors.
3: You do realize they come on a heavy price tag. Yeah, that's the thing. See, I don't know if fans realize that because I'm a, I am would love if Chris Evans was at my show, Robert Downey Jr., but you're not going to have the same experience like you have now where you walk up to... And it's rushed. Uh, whoever's at my show, name somebody that was there last year. Uh, Carrie Payne, oh, King Ezekiel from Walking Dead. You can walk up to him, just like the kids are talking to Starlin. They're talking to him, they're engaging, they're having a couple minute conversation with him. When you go to the level of Chris Evans, it's just a financial equation for Evans to be there, it's going to cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. To recoup that money, you've got to get as many people in and out as quickly as possible. It's a factory situation. So you might have your one sixtieth of a second photograph for that shutter to take yeah. a picture and post it on your Facebook forever. How? But you're not going to have a big memory, are you? Right. You're not I going hear. to say, I, I actually interviewed Chris Evans in 2011 backstage. We talked about donuts, we talked about being from Boston, we talked about that stuff. I'll remember that forever, but I don't think I'll ever have that opportunity now because he's such a status symbol. There's too many people that want to have that two or three minutes with him. Yeah. I talked to Ruffalo. He long he before talked you. To do. People Ruffalo like this talked one? all day. He picked up my phone. He asked how my finger was because I had I've broken my thumb. And we were talking about that. He was like a normal dude.
1: Yeah, and he is. Because at really the ends. end of
3: the day, they all are normal dudes. You gotta yeah. remember that. I think people get too like yeah, starstruck. Starstruck and they shake and they quiver, which is all fine, because that's being a fan, that's there, but you gotta put it in perspective a
1: bit. With you know? Ruffalo though at New York Comic-Con, he was very amicable with every single fan that he met, which yeah. I was like, that's awesome. And yeah. again, and I don't keep saying that because he helped our show out so much. Right, I right. I say because of the experience I had with him. Yeah, The right. dude is humble.
3: People loved Henry Winkler at my show last year because he took the time out to every person, yes, I saw spoke that. to them, did magic tricks, talked to them, remembered their name, and they'll walk away and they go, that's the nicest guy. John Shipp is like that, too. Yeah, John oh, Wesley I know that. Shipp, Kevin Conroy, there's some people that are so personal, so nice, you never forget that. And you'll always go, I love that guy's show, I love that book that he wrote, whatever product he's doing, I'm behind it because I had such a good experience. If they're routine, don't even look up, eh. You know, and I've, I've dealt with one Not like usually that. the person It's the staff That are around them Because I met Haley Atwell Really great person The guy that was with her 100% Asshole Yeah He was like Come on move along Haley has no time I go excuse me I'm, I just paid For my two seconds And we're talking And she was just Looking at the guy and, oh, oh I got 20 other people I'm like alright buddy all I'd right. love to see her At Terrificon to be honest I would love to But I don't know If she's still doing it Because she's off Doing a lot of Stage work And she's yeah. doing A lot of other things I would love to have her at the show. You know what? I'd like to see more. Like, you know who I was going to get at the show this year? Kobe Smolders. Really? I was going to, and then people were like, "Well, she's How I Met Your Mother." I go, "See, I see Maria Hill because I never watched How I Met Your Mother." There's probably I know, a great show. I know her as both. So, I was going to get Malin Ackerman. Right on. Because she right on. is so expected. Yeah, but well, she's also a very funny comedian. She's in. Uh, Children's Hospital. She did a lot of other movies. She's on a show called Billions
1: right now. In regards to something yeah. that I've never seen at a convention. What? Stage actors.
3: Really? Yeah. Well, I've John never... Barryman's coming to my show this year. He's kind of like a stage Man, guy. And when you
1: announced him. I the had him crap. done in
3: January, but for some reasons we, we had to hold up on it. So I was biting at this. I was really. I was like, I can't wait to announce it. And when I did, it was like lightning. Boom, everybody was crazy for it. You,
1: whenever you see me on the Terrificon page, I will say, this is a great get. Yeah, yeah, And it's yeah, yeah. genuine, so I'm like, holy shit.
3: Yeah, he's fun. I can't wait to I've have I've seen him his bare ass once. Everybody has. Yes. I think he's, he's
1: fond of that, yeah. There was one show I went to where John uh, Jason David Frank was seated next to him at yeah. New York Comic Con. He's doing his little thing, you know, adhd running around, yelling, Right, right, Whoa! right, 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 yeah, he's crazy, yeah. He jumps up on the table and goes, go, go, Power Rangers! Yeah. And then, five seconds later... Uh, John Barman gets on his He goes Hey guys Turns around We see a full moon there In broad go. daylight yeah. And I've told a lot of my Whovian friends I've seen Jack Harkness's ass Yeah Not many people can say that He's a fun dude He absolutely Hopefully is Hopefully
3: he'll moon us all At Terrificon That's the dream On August 19th To the 11th At the Mohegan Sun In Uncasville, Connecticut Ask for it by name How did I get this great career This monotone delivery Yes How oh you? Any more things you want to do Because it's almost Kilmer time
1: I think I think it's about time We're good You're going to lose this video You will, will not I
3: not Right? John's on this. Poor John, looks so tired. Mitch, it's an absolute pleasure. For one of us, sure. We are shaking
1: hands in the audio realm. Woo! Yeah, look at that. Alright, big thank you to Mitch Halleck for being on the program. Thank you. And now it's also time to switch over to our interview with legendary Marvel inker Keith Williams. And that interview begins right about... I mean, that's that's the thing with a lot of this tech, you know, stuff. You look at it, and it's, at the end of the day, just, like, super weird. And I think, like, we used to use the uh, h, H4N h back in the day, right? And it was, like, same thing like this, same kind of little uh, doohickey on the top, but, like, a smaller build. And now because, like, oh, you got to have more of the, this and this and this, they add, like, make them larger so and larger. So it gets larger again. Yeah, it, right. It's like the Monolith from 2001, pretty much. <laughs> But... That's what it is. Okay. Right now we are joined with Keith Williams. Keith, how are you doing today? Hi. Doing great. Thank you. So, you've done work for Marvel. You've done work for the Distinguished Competition, as I can tell. (laughs) Yes, I have. And you're an inker. You've done a lot of inking work. And I have to ask, by the way, as an inker, we've only talked to maybe one or two inkers
2: on the show in the past. Do you know the movie Chasing Amy? Uh just just by the name, uh, not really the movie. There's
1: no. a scene with the character Banky and he is a inker in the comics and a guy attacks him and goes, "Oh, so you're a tracer." No, oh. There's it's more simple than that. Oh. It's more simple. He- oh.
2: <laughs> my oh, favorite my line is,
1: "I will trace a tr- I will trace a line around your corpse." <laughs>
2: <laughs> there you go. That that's sort of like the feeling, yeah.
1: <laughs> and like the thing is, you're a very accomplished artist. You're doing right now the beast from the X-Men. And also from the Avengers, because what other teams has he been a part of? Uh, yeah, he's been everywhere. Yes, a very
2: but, popular character.
1: But you're an accomplished artist, so like, getting into that whole element of the inking as well as the you know the art, the regular you know comic art. What is the favorite thing for you about both aspects?
2: Favorite thing, uh, just basically the creating and and uh, putting it down on paper, and then looking at it and saying, oh wow, turned out sort of like the way I. Wanted it to, you know. Uh, that that that's always good. Um, it, it's, uh, it's 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 a good feeling. I don't know how to really d- describe it when I'm when I'm when I'm doing this. You know, like it's work, true, but but still, there's there's, there's this fun to it. There's this en- enjoyment that 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 I get uh, when I when I uh, work on the paper. Uh, yeah, I really. Yeah.
1: And inkers, in all honesty. Are the most unsung hero in the comic <laughs> field because yeah. they end up taking something that you know there might be a little bit of a problem in the pencils and you want to clean it up, make it look a lot better. And True. I've seen amazing ink jobs over the years from artists. And
2: yeah, yeah. Some people, some people get uh, uh, have their own style in their, in their inking, and uh, they and it comes through. You know, you have people like Terry Austin, you know, Rudy Naboras. You got you got some incredible. Um, uh, inkers uh, who are also artists uh, that, that uh, when, they, when they put this stuff down on paper, you could see their style in it so that a person could see when they're reading a book. So, oh, that's Terry Austin. Oh, that's, you know, like, uh, um, good to be brief, well, Stig Giordano or, or, or somebody like that. Um, and then you got other people who would rather just do the work, you know, like that's, and follow the line work to a certain extent of what the pencil would do. To make sure that the pencil just shines through, you know, like it. it th- th- there are a lot of uh, um, different ways of um, interpreting uh, things like pencil pencil art. Um, uh, the, the the thing is, is that once the anchor is done with the artwork, that's that's basically what the people see. That's the last. That's that's the last thing. So. So like um, after the inker puts down the ink, then we erase the pencils, whatever yeah. pencils are left. So it, it is the inking that you see. We are the last, we are the last person that's on, on the uh, page working on the artwork. We could sometimes make or break the artist, which <laughs> could, could be bad <laughs> in, in some ways. You, know, you always hope that the uh, person that you're inking over likes the stuff that you're doing.
1: And like you know, of course, like as you know, technology has improved. Digital inking has
2: become a thing. Have you ever dabbled in going in for digital inking? I worked on uh, Wacom tablets. Uh, I, I have one at home uh, that you can just uh, draw right on the uh, on the um, tablet, uh, and they, they work great, and, and they are they are a great tool. Um, I, I yes, I can ink on it. Uh, the thing is is that I really think that you need to have the skills. Like to work on it on paper first. Uh, learn how to work with a brush, with a cocoa pen. You know, like uh, things like that first before you go onto something like the screen. Because yeah, you could you could continuously you know like uh, undo and things like that when you're working on a computer. Uh, but in real, but, but but on the paper, you know, like it's it's either it's it's working out right, or if you make a mistake, it's white out. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Uh, so, so you know, you try to be more meticulous and more careful on the paper than you would on, most likely, the computer tablet. You know, so, but, but um, I've worked on both of them, and I like, I like both of them. I just feel that you need to possibly start with uh, working on paper first.
1: Now, over the past few years, Marvel has started to blown up, blow up because of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and you and I both had a conversation at Big Apple Comic Con and a little bit this morning as well. What do you think is going to be the future of the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe? And have you noticed kind of trends of like characters that maybe like, I think that character is going to be big one day in the movies because I've been getting a lot of requests to do work of this character.
2: Right, well, well, I, I think one of, the, one of the characters that's going to be interesting uh, to, to follow is the Falcon, who is now is going Captain to become America? Captain America. You know, uh, I'd love to see how that works out. He doesn't have the super soldier formula, but he has a lot of skills, you know, and he has his wings too. And I and I saw how he used his wings in uh, just the latest movie. It was absolutely incredible. Yeah. So um, he, he's somebody that I would really love to see have his solo adventure. Um, the Guardians of the Galaxy. I got a, you know, now that, now they got Thor in there. Uh, who knows what's going to be happening well, with the uh, As Guardians of the Galaxy. The, now that the has Guardians <laughs> Which, of the Galaxy. Uh, I, I'm not too sure Peter likes that idea too much.
1: Well, I, I love... Oh, no, that, Peter. But I love the idea of uh, that, like, everyone has heard the pun of Asgardians of the Galaxy, and then there's, like, a few people in the crowds, you know, during the showings, they're like, well, actually, there's your comic called that there, right there now. There is
2: actually a comic called that. Yes, yes, yes.
1: I'm wondering, do you think they planted that seed early? Like, oh, they're going to do this. Hey, we should make this comic right now.
2: Well, maybe maybe, maybe it might be an inside joke. Maybe, you know, like, uh, it, 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 was, it was good, you know, like, uh, it didn't make my eyebrows go up, you know. Uh, who knows, there's a possibility they might just do something like that. I, I wouldn't put anything past them now. I, I think they could do anything they want. <laughs>
1: I've been curious about two, uh, actually three groups. Obviously, everyone is going to go on about the X-Men. That's my first of three groups. Oh. But you also have two other groups that could make appearances in these movies, and that's the Power Pack, which... I've been hearing a lot of Power Pack stuff lately, and I don't know why. Like, just random people will bring up Power Pack. They're re-releasing the books. I'm like, yes. huh. That's very suspicious. Why are they re-releasing that? And then you have the Fantastic Four, which yes, so many people, you know, you're in comics, and I imagine it's different on your end compared to the fandom, where it's like, oh, I hate the Fantastic Four because they're, they made bad movies, blah, blah, blah. But... From a comic book perspective and from someone you know who's in the industry i imagine like there's the characters are held a little bit differently you know
2: because of why what they are the importance they are fantastic four oh, it is one of my favorite you know comic books like i i love i love the family aspect of it you know um we'll we'll, we'll see uh, nice. I, I can't i can't wait i, I know it's gonna happen I'm just wondering how they're gonna do it and where they're gonna place them. Are they gonna place them in the '60s? Are they gonna do it in the in the present? Are they gonna have them disappear into the negative zone and then appear into the present so that?
1: See, on previous episodes, I've gone on saying maybe bring them in and make them older, like they're you know. Since this, since we are now in a post-endgame world, I can freely say it. In a post-Tony Stark world, right. we can't do what I originally suggested, and that was have the Fantastic Four show up. Like, there's 70, 80, or whatever, and they helped defeat Galactus with their oh, know-how. Right? And you hear, you know, a scene with Tony Stark going, I know a guy who can help us out He was a friend of my dad.
2: I really, I was, I was, like, tensing up at that moment. And I was, yeah. like, saying, would they even just, like, mention Reed Richards or the Baxter Building or something like that? I was, I was, like, it, it, it was running through my mind. I said, what an incredible way to introduce them, to bring them, to bring them in. Well, you
1: know, the like thing... That, that they did. But they didn't. <laughs> Sorry, I went to sleep at, like, midnight last night, so, like, I'm exhausted Don't worry.
2: I understand. But anyway,
1: so, they've actually referenced in Iron Fist, which is and isn't. It's like, we're not sure if it's fish or fowl, but it's one of those things where Iron Fist, is it still a part of the Marvel Universe? They reference the Baxter building, like the Baxter Street or
2: something. Oh, so
1: they did, didn't they? They did. And it's, are they still a part of it? We don't know.
2: That's interesting. Uh, I I guess you'll have to wait until Disney What Plus comes out, or whatever it is, because uh, they might have a whole different uh, idea on how they're going to be running these characters. I am... yawning.
1: Anyway, I I am curious about the idea of, you know, Captain... It was Captain America, or no, sorry. It was Falcon and Winter Soldier. Now, is that a placeholder title for now? And now they can officially go like, oh, by the way, that's never happening. We're doing Captain America and Winter Soldier, where it's no longer Falcon, but now he's Captain America. Oh, wow. Because that would make perfect sense.
2: Yeah, that would, wouldn't it? Or could it be, you know, like in between?
1: Because wow, during our interview with Jim Starlin, Jim had mentioned Josh Brolin wants to reprise the role of Thanos. But wait a minute, how can that happen? Different
2: timelines. Oh, anything can happen. In the Marvel Universe, you, you, you know, just because he faded out at this moment in time doesn't mean there's there's no way of bringing him back. If if they want to, they can.
1: It absolutely <laughs> broke my heart when I saw him turn to dust, man. Like I was just like, oh. Well, look at him.
2: No, but I I loved that whole I loved that whole sequence where you know, like he was watching, looking around him, and he was actually feeling what. the 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 superheroes are feeling in the last movie i don't feel so good i'm losing i'm losing all all the people that i love or or that that have been with me all this time and look it's all going away my whole dream is dying around me and then to leave him as the last person to go i know tony had a special place special thought in his head to do that that he was gonna be the last one to go.
1: <laughs> it was so this this is like a movie that, you know, we'll still be talking about this thing months and months. Oh absolutely.
2: Even years. Like oh, you believe it. people are still talking about Infinity War. Yes. And the impact of <laughs> that know. movie. Right. Right. Just, so, just the fact that you know like, I mean it was like silence at the end of that movie because they thought something else was gonna happen, but nothing happened and you just went, What? When <laughs> you went to see it, what was like one of that the moments yeah.
1: It really just keeps happening, <laughs> so many times. But anyway, uh, when you saw Endgame, what was the moment where you were just like, you were just stunned silent for something that happened?
2: Well, uh, uh, of of course, of course, it was uh, the part when. Uh, Thor had him and actually I thought that maybe something might work out here you know like I mean he had the he had the axe in his heart and then he said you should have aimed for the head and and right then I went oh no no And both, he both, just snapped his fingers, and that was it.
1: Both John and I, during our initial screening of that, when he went hardcore in Endgame and just, you know, chops his head off. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did not expect that in a Marvel movie. I did not expect that whatsoever.
2: Oh, sure, but you know what? Thinking the way Thor would be thinking at that moment in time, I figured, you know, like, since he was there, since I'm was, since i here, you know, I, I might as well just do the job that I was supposed to do in the first place, you know, yeah. and just get that over with,
1: yeah. And he embarrassed him, and now, you know, the whole not worthy thing... And there's, like, so many messages this movie oh, had, too, yeah, with the whole... yeah,
2: yes, not worthy, yes.
1: The whole depression does not make you any less worthy of what you are. It's like, that stuff, it's like, wow. Yes, yes. I, I,
2: I love the whole thing in the beginning, how they were coping with what, what happened to them. And, and how they jumped five years into the future and they were still trying to cope with it i mean this is it, it, it was a mega scale event that happened i i don't know how anybody could actually well having jim really Star- move on
1: having jim starlin as a counselor you know really helped
2: out yeah because he yeah, knows absolutely. manos about you know pretty damn well absolutely absolutely
1: and uh. yeah just a lot of like these movies are insanely, you know,
2: well-thought. It was, it was absolutely amazing. They had, it, they had it thought out. I don't know if they had everything exactly thought out the way it turned out, but they really put it all together at the end. They made it very satisfying. I, I, I think of the Marvel Universe as a separate universe from the comic books, but that that it's still a Marvel Universe. Yeah. uh, um, uh um, Thing, uh, uh, um, the, the movie universe is, is, is Marvel.
1: And now apparently the Marvel movie universe is six one six. But wait a minute, the comics are six one six. Oh, are you serious? What Because yeah. did so, didn't they mention that in the home or Far From Home trailer, John? Something. Yes.
4: Yeah, so it's no, like,
1: no. is did it they, now six one six? Six one six. And I thought it was one nine nine nine
2: nine or something. Holy cow! Yeah. No. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so. So what, what? What is what? What's the Earth for Marvel comics? One. Knock it down to one now? 42. But, but, no.
1: (laughs) Douglas Adams somehow had a hand in it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and thanks for all the fish. Exactly. Yeah, really. Seriously.
1: They're going to go, they're going to go to the uh, last shawarma restaurant at the end of the universe. Yeah, 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 (laughs) yeah. Insert another Douglas Adams book title. That would absolutely be great. I I would love that. Dirk gently joins Alias Investigations. (laughs) I'd love to see that too. <laughs> that would be yeah, a, that it. just <laughs> Dirk interacting with like
2: you are drunk a li- oh, Jessica. <laughs> he, he would had, have been good, he would have been he would have been very useful in the last movie actually. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> There's no coincidences, you know, everything happens yeah, Now I'm curious.
1: For what characters do you want to see brought to the big screen though? Like that have never been. Because Whoa. of course uh, we've had the X-Men and you know we're gonna have we're gonna have the X-Men movie that kinda doesn't matter now.
2: Right. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The Phoenix, Dark Phoenix, one. Well, I'm hoping that it turns out all right. Same here. Uh, but but, gosh, yeah, fantastic Four, the X-Men. Um, now they could use characters like the Watcher and and, and all that. You know, like, I, I mean, there's so many so many characters that they, that they could um do now. They could do a... I, I, well, they did the Defenders already, but they can, you know... You do, and, and the Eternals are possibly, you know... Are, are, Eternals you know. is rumored Eternals? right now. Yeah, right. Like,
1: I think, one, what's her name? Uh, Angelina Jolie.
2: Oh, right, right. She's yes, going to yes, be yes, one of the characters in... Yes, yes. I, 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 I can't wait for that. Um What other how would the Duck. I want would the Duck to have a, have a real movie. I, I, no, I, I'm serious, because the, 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 the last movie, that, that other movie that was an experiment. I it get sure it. was. It was an experiment. <laughs> it slightly failed, but it was an experiment. And I can get that, but I would love to see what of my
1: One of my favorite things about Howard the Duck being mentioned on this program is every time now when Howard gets mentioned, our audio engineer, John, is on hand <laughs> for it. So, John, if you want to, you can defend the movie again.
4: It's a great film. Anyone that thinks otherwise does not know what they're talking about. It is a pinnacle of the 80s and a pinnacle of America in general. Okay.
2: Every time <laughs> he's always here for that. It's like. <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> I'll kind of. I'll, I'll, I'll. I can't totally agree with that, but okay. <laughs> I, I tried. I really did, but it can't come out of my mouth that way. Uh, but yeah, uh, I know they're doing a Howard ooh, animated series. Oh yeah, right. With right. Kevin Smith, that's gonna be. That, that would be great. That that that's I'm sure that's gonna be great. But I'm curious. I, I, I'd about also that. like to see Man Thing too. I'm, so you, you could you could do a man thing.
1: It, it leads itself to so many jokes and puns. Oh, you
4: know God, what I mean? Yeah, Where it's like, can no. you
1: do a man thing movie? <laughs> like you have to you have to then call him maybe his real name, but then that's like it, you know goes away from the
2: allure of he's the man thing. Yeah, he's the man thing. I mean, hey, burn. You know, you, you burn from the touch of the man thing. You yeah, know? whatever you knows fear. And yeah, it's yeah. it's such a that's such a cool concept. So I, that, that's that's interesting. I didn't I didn't think of it that way. My mind didn't go there, but but now it is, and, and now it can never come out.
1: So <laughs> imagine though a Man Thing movie where he's like, let's see, Man Thing. I'm like I'm trying to fantasy you know plot a lot of movie right now, but I could go with maybe Man Thing versus the Avengers. Oh. Wow. And then, you know, encountering him and then they get Man-Thing on their side and somehow they fight Howard the Duck. I don't know, but... Oh, something.
2: Sure. Well, that's that's all mystical stuff. That's 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 the mystical part of the Marvel Universe. So I would think that he would sooner or later have to come into it because of Doctor Strange. Now that you, Yeah, I was going to say Man-Thing, Doctor Strange. That's yeah. actually even better now. Yeah, I would like I, that. I, I think so, yeah. I, 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 you know, like... Um, and they have uh, a lot of other uh, mystical... Well, they have Scarlet Witch, but she's not really a witch. And, you know, like, uh, she's more... She's more like a mutant kind of thing now, you know. So I I don't know, but um they they, they should u- they should use the magical oh, right, yeah. <laughs> the magical uh, portion of the Marvel universe should be definitely explored more.
1: So now Keith, before we wrap this up, how can people get a hold
2: of you on social media? Well, I'm on uh, Facebook and I'm also on Instagram. What's the Instagram handle? Uh Instagram handle is Keith Williams
1: comic book art. I'm gonna follow you myself right now because I don't think I follow you. Oh, okay. We are friends on Facebook though. Yes, now watch, like last time when I go, oh, we're let me add you on Facebook. Oh, we're
2: already friends. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get a lot of that. <laughs> that happens a lot. But yeah, yeah, and Facebook also, um, and DeviantArt. Not, not too much as as before, but yeah, you know, like, I'm, I'm still on there. And now we're, fo- I'm following oh, there you. There I am. Yeah. Very cool. I'm right there. So okay. Keith, it was an absolute pleasure talking to you. Oh, absolutely. I'm glad we were able to do it. We're
1: shaking hands on the audio
2: podcast. Yeah, I, there you I, go. Every yeah, time yeah. I point that out.
1: <laughs> Thank you very much to Keith Williams for guesting on the podcast. Keith. And we're going to be seeing him, I believe also at Eternal Con, Terrificon, and probably a bunch of other shows. Like I'll be honest, like I, I run into that man a lot at shows. So I Well, good. That's very good.
0: And and he'll be like, what's the other artist that looked at you and said, "I know him."
1: The late, great Herb Trimpey. That's it. That's a story for another day, but, man, that still makes me smile.
0: It's a very good thing to make you smile. In fact, I think we should run down in some kind of order the shows that are coming up if you happen to be in the area. And depending on when you're listening to this podcast, the first one that's coming to mind, I don't think either one of us will be making, and they do usually two of the year, is the Albany Comic Con. It's a small little intimate show, but that's where we first interviewed Jim Starlin, for example— and uh, Joe Sinat's been there several times. Others, uh, too numerous to mention that, that don't come to mind. But their bigger show is on June 2nd. But the next one coming up for us would be Eternal Con in Long Island, June 22nd and 23rd. Hot on the heels of that one, June 29th and 30th down in Morristown, New Jersey, the Garden State Comic Fest. And thank you to the folks for getting us there. And then I think we skip ahead to, to August, to Terrificon. Which you ever mentioned at August 9th to 11th. And then the big one.
1: For us. October, New York Comic Con. And that's actually also, by the way, my th- that will be my third show I have attended this year at the Jacob K. Javits Center. June 1st and 2nd, I will be in attendance for BookCon at the Jacob K. Javits Center. And it's going to have like a ton of different guests there in the literary world. But also, Frank Miller is going to be there. And a couple of different people in comics. I believe Kelly Sudakonic is going to be there. But for me, the biggest guest of them all is Brabadoo! John Cena. Da, 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 da. See,
0: I thought you were going for Frank Miller. No. And there was another. John Cena. Another li- John, C- another... John
1: Cena's literally bigger than him, though. Well, physically, in stature. He could stature give him fun. the attitude adjustment, just one, two, three wins. <laughs> That's a wrestling uncle. match I do not want to see for Frank's help.
0: Yeah, I suppose so. But I thought there was another sizable name in the comic book world that. Uh...
1: Kelly Sue DeConnick. No. Kelly's a big name. She's literally responsible for the modern-day version of Captain Marvel.
0: Nice. Okay. So, yeah. (laughs) Photos or it didn't happen. Okay. Well, it's an
1: entire run. (laughs) Oh, good.
0: I meant that you were there, documented. Oh.
1: Well, anyway, also, like I said, New York Comic Con. And, yeah, there's going to be a lot of stuff going on that weekend especially. And on top of that, you also have the movie Joker coming out, which... Oh, yeah. Trying to figure out where I'm going to be seeing that, if I'm going to make the trek back home after the first day of New York Comic Con. Far from home. Or if I'm going to be going, you know, just staying the night in the city with a friend and figuring that out. Because I'm too cheap to get a hotel in the city, that weekend especially.
0: Uh, You know what? I have no qualms about trying to get a deal. Yes. if That'll save you some change where you could be spending it on, you know, source material.
1: Exactly. But speaking of source material... For part of what's about to come up next, I had to read some of Don's legendary run on Jungle Action, and it helped open my eyes to what I got to talk to him about. So, coming up right now is the panel I got to conduct with the legendary Don McGregor at East Coast Comic Con, and that audio starts right about now. Welcome East Coast Comic Con to the Don McGregor panel. So, just an FYI, we will be uh, fielding questions at the end of the panel if you have any questions. So, yeah. I'm Peter Melnick of the Marvelists podcast, and this is Don McGregor.
4: Is this on? I believe it is. Okay, so I'm on steroids, so I actually have a voice, hopefully for you people. Well, You're going to headlock so, me, I'm aren't I'm you? Some, huh? You're going to headlock me, aren't you? I'm not going to headlock you. You, you, you know, I, by the way, I found out a thing about Peter. He thinks he knows everything about me. Here's the deal, like I know what this this panel's really about.
1: You're going to headlock me, aren't it's you? About the,
4: it's about the Simpsons, isn't it? A
1: little bit. This yes. is all about the Simpsons. It's possible. It's Not, not
4: the, anything about the Black Panther. This is about the Simpsons.
1: I mean, we're going This is technically about Homer goes to college. So you know
4: that my grandson, if he could, he's like he's 24, 25 now. Right. Smarter than I will ever be. If he could watch The Simpsons 24-7. You "Grandpa, know, listen, by the way, let's put The Simpsons back on. Why, why did you change the station? Sorry, I thought like five hours of The Simpsons was enough. Apparently, Peter is not. It is not. As a Simpsons,
1: diehard Simpsons aficionado, it is not.
4: So, so. You, you have questions. Do you have questions? I
1: do. And also, do. The, the people in attendance have questions as well. I well, don't have end. any answers but we'll see. Well, will we'll, maybe we could do you know comic questions, uh, movie questions, dating, marriage advice, you know stuff like that. Any anything. You didn't
4: mention sex.
1: I, I did not mention sex. Well,
4: oh, oh, you. oh, 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 that word. You want to talk about The Simpsons? I want to talk about sex. <laughs> <laughs> is this being recorded? By yes, the way? it is you mean, actually. Oh, very good. I'm so glad it is.
1: So you've had a prolific Could career. Good
4: kind news of that? With that, that uh, what's that, that? bleeding cool news?
1: Oh, oh no. Yeah, I'm
4: hoping we make it. This, this will be. The, we, we this will be, and it, it's just a building block for you,
1: Peter. We're trying. We're yeah. trying. Working on a dream. But okay. so, your career. Let's first tell people at in at home listening on the podcast, and also here, how you got started. How'd you get started in comics, Don?
4: How did I get started in comics? I went to my first uh, Comic-Con in about, it was either 67 or 68, when Phil Suling was running the New York City Comic-Cons, which were the only Comic-Cons around. And it was really about comics. And uh, I think the second one I went to, um, I had a bound volume of all Jim Sterenko's Shield books. I loved Sterenko. So I went up to, uh, Jim was... Signing books, he had a crowd of people around him, and uh, so I wanted. I, when I got up to him, I gave him my book, and Jim goes, "You're Don McGregor." And I'm going, "Who the is Jim strike? Why do he know who Don McGregor is?" Like he said, "Oh, Don. say so I'm having a private party tonight in, in my room. Come in on the clock, and say, don't give this room number to anybody because at, at this time Jim was incredibly popular. And I'm going, "You you want me to come to?" I'm going, "Like this is great." So I went to Jim's room, and Jim put on a hell of a show that night. It, you know, I mean, we were there till about four o'clock in the morning, and I met Alex Simmons for the first time, and we became buddies right right away. Now, I come from the state of Rhode Island. Alex comes from Spanish Harlem, and we, we should have had nothing in common, but we had this love for comics, this love for movies and TV series, the stuff that spoke to us. And I think it's one of the first times for me that I you know, became, um, had people that understood what I was passionate about, and it was like, yeah, I saw that movie, it was a pretty good movie, what's next? Well, did you see the football game last night? No, I didn't see the football game, and I don't, you wanna talk about cars, like the car that brand new, car? I, I don't care about cars. You wanna talk about women, I'm willing to talk about that. <laughs> but, other than that, no, I'm not I'm just not interested. So anyhow, I met Alex and we started talking and I said to Alex, We were doing films together, we were working on films together. And Alex, like we're doing action things. We love to do our own stunts. And I know one time I had Alex come out to Rhode Island and I say, we're gonna take this fall down the script, we're gonna have a fight, we're gonna fall down, and you're gonna swing an axe at my head and put it in this tree. And but we didn't know anything about fake weapons. Right. Alex just... Sw- <laughs> Alex is swinging a real axe. He said, Don, are you sure you wanna do it? I said, believe me, I'm gonna be keeping my eye on that axe. But Alex is the only one I would do that kind of stunt with. Earlier, like if you're doing it with people who really aren't serious about this stuff, you have gotta be very careful with stunt work. I was doing another one earlier with somebody and I had a machete. It was a real machete. Jesus. Was great. <laughs> so we're doing a fight scene on the dock, and the, can I stand up and do a little? Yes, you may. All right, so. The, the stunt was, actually I gotta put this on. The stunt basically was, the, the guy's got this machete and he, and, he, and he comes at me and, and he swings this machete at me and I, and I leap backwards so that the machete will, you know, misses me and I come in like grab his arm, take him, put him and throw him in the water. So we practice it half a dozen times and when the camera goes on, and this is what happens with a lot of people, when the camera goes on, they're saving it for the camera. And so when the camera goes on, the guy now, where has he been, he's been going like this? He goes, I good thing I'm leaving back. It tears through my shirt, puts a red line right straight across my midsection. Now, by the way though, if you're doing a movie, you don't fucking yell cut. <laughs> you say, I come in, grabs i bang, bang, toss it in the water. And then I went, are you out of your mind? That's a real life. <laughs> I'm bleeding over here. <laughs> And you say, what's that got to do with comics, Don? Yes, what does that have to do with comics, Don? So then I said to Alex, well, we should do our own comic. Oh. And...
1: <laughs> yes, let's save it to the pages instead.
4: <laughs> well, no, we're still doing the movies. That was Denning and Rainey were actually created, the, De- the Detectives Incorporated, they were created for Alex and I to play on screen because most of the time we were playing opposite each other so we could do fight scenes together. But really, all Detectives Incorporated is, is I Spy set in New York City. Right. And it's very much influenced by those guys, and Alice and I had that kind of relationship. But Alice could also draw. Like, I could do one thing reasonably well if I work really, really hard at it. Alice could do many things, She's so multi-talented. And Alice could draw. So I said, well, you know what? We should do Detectives Incorporated as a comic. So he would come out to Rhode Island, and he drew a lot of it in New York, uh, and we were like late, we were trying to get it ready for the New York con, having a time. But in those days, because you we know, were young guys like you, we, tell. we didn't want to be sitting behind a table selling books. So we got the book, I mean, literally we get the book done the day before we are coming to the con. And so when we get there, and you could, in those days, you could, you could hire somebody to sell your book. They, right. they would, and then you could do the con and have a good time. And so now I've got my first comic. See, we are getting into comics. So I have my first comic, and it's got a Pepto Bismol pink cover on it. And okay? you can see it, like if, I, if I'm up here and I hold that book up, you're going you're gonna to see the pink from all the way in the background. <laughs> So we go to the con with the book, and uh, when people would be going on the panel like this, we're like, I don't really normally like doing these kind of panels, I like to do stand-up, because then I can go out amongst you people, I can, whatever comes to my mind, I can do it, and you know, it's, it seems to be like, oh, it's pretty static if you're always just behind the table. So, um, Alice and I go see the show with Jim Warren. Jim Warren's up on the panel, but as, as people are going up to the panel, I'm handing out Detectives Incorporated. Nice. So everybody on the panel, and I know what people on panels do. If there's a bunch of people, they're bored. When I'm talking, the other people are going like, oh, that's just going on and on. And then they're looking at your book. So everybody sees you know, these writers and artists all looking at Detectives Incorporated. But not that I have any battle plan. If you think there's a battle plan how to get into comics, Most of it's like, there's like three choices you have, I'll go into that later if you want, but uh, there's no plan here. Uh, I'm in the audience and Jim Warren is fielding questions and I'm sitting where you're sitting. And I raise my hand, and Jim, Warren, and, and Jim is going on about how great Warren magazines, his magazines. He's going mail order, and so he could do stuff that Marvel and DC could never do because he's got the greatest comics in the world. And so then I raise my hand, and Warren says, "Yeah." We, and I, I go, "Well, if that's true, Mr. Warren, then why are you publishing the kind of crap you're publishing?" Wow. <laughs> which is probably not the thing you normally should say to somebody you might be asking to do writing work for. And now, I don't know what Jim said on the panel, but when the panel was over, Jim Warren comes stalking off that stage, and finds, before I could get out of the room, he goes, hey, hot shot. And which, by the way, for the rest of the convention, That was one for Hotshot Charlie from Terry and the Pirates. Another comic convention link, okay? So now Jimmy goes, hey, Hotshot. Well, how how dare you ask me a question like that? You know, (laughs) on a panel like that. Who the hell are you? Uh, And I said, I'm telling my name, you know, and Jimmy goes, name one story. Name one story I ever did that was crap. Now, to be honest with you, I did something I should not have done. You pulled I, out a scroll just of all no, times. No, <laughs> I could have. <laughs> I, did, I, I did something I, I would not do later on, once I was in the business. I named a story. Um, I, still think it's, I still think it's crap to this day. Um, I, I have not changed my opinion on it, but it wasn't, it wasn't right to, like, it, it could have hurt another person uh, who, you know, who was writing, and not that I had any weight or pull, but still in all, I wouldn't do it now. But I was, I, I, my only excuse was I was in my 20s, and what the hell did I know? So Jim Ross says, oh yeah, then come with me. And he starts, and in those days, they showed movies 24 hours a day, day and night at the conventions, they had a, just a movie theater and they showed old movies. In those days, it's the only way you could get to see B-movies from the 30s and 40s or serials or, you know, cult shows that you wouldn't be able to see anywhere else. And I can see Jim is going down the aisles in the dark looking for somebody and then he sees somebody, he, should, he starts motioning this way, and then this tall black guy, six foot six, comes out of the uh, aisle and he goes, <coughs> Don McGregor, this is Billy Graham. Billy Graham, this is Don McGregor. Don McGregor, tell Billy Graham his work is, is crap. Wow. You asked for the story, I did. and <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you the, what happened. <laughs> so now, but I never said the artwork was crap. That's not what I said. I said the story was crap, not Billy's artwork. Billy was great. So I said, no, I didn't say the, I didn't say the artwork was crap. I said the story was crap. And Jim Warren steps back and he goes, all right, Hotshot, play your cards right, and I'll take you out to dinner tonight. And he ends up taking Alex and I out to dinner with Billy. And Billy and Alex and I become really, really good friends, and Jim Warren says, oh, maybe I'll give you a chance to write something for me. So when you ask the question about getting into comics, I wouldn't advise the way I did it, to be, (laughs) you know, maybe what you should do, I'm not saying you can't. I'm just saying you never can tell what would work. It just depends on who you're with. Because if I promise you, if I come up to Jim Warren, I said, oh, Mr. Warren, I love your books. They're so great. I just, I adore you. Like, and if, I, if you just give me a chance, I would, once I would do anything. He'd get, get out of here, kid. Get lost. I got things to do.
1: I didn't think I'd get my hair tussled today. I got to tell you that. <laughs>
4: <laughs> so now, the next morning, I come walking into the con, and Jim... Warren is standing he's holding on to a painting he's got a cover. he's got a coverlet over it and a huge painting so Warren sees me and said hey Doc hotshot come over here so I walk over and, and, and Jim goes I have a Vaughn Baudet painting under here you understand I got a Vaughn Baudet painting under here I have writers everybody wants to do a story around this cover I'm going to give you, you think you're such a hot shot, don't you? I said, no, I don't, Jim. I just, yeah, you do. You, tell you what, hot shot. I'm going to let you see this painting, and I'm going to give you 10 seconds, and you give me a story. And Jim lifts up the thing, and there's this beautiful Vaughn Baudet painting, and he just starts going, 10, 9, <laughs> 8. I got nothing. 7, 6, five, I'm just a deer in headlights, four, three, but the one thing I know is that when he gets to zero, I'm gonna start talking. And he goes, two, one, zero, and I go, okay, so this these two guys, hey, wait a minute, come on. I got professional writers writing, you think I would give it to a nobody like you? <laughs> a little short guy like you, I would give it to you? This is never gonna happen. So I never got to pitch a story for him. Three months later, when I'm writing stories for Warren, by the way, at the amazing sum of $25 a story. If you did an eight-page story, it was $25. If you did a 10-page story, it was $25. If it was a 12-page story, it was $25. It eventually went up to 40. This is about working in comics. You want to know about working in comics? They own everything, and man, you're just trying to stay alive and tell us the stories you want to tell. Because one of the tricks is it just depends on what kind of writer you want to be. So about three months later, I get a call from Jim Warren. I'm back up in the state of Rhode Island, and I get a call from Jim. I'm now writing stories for Archie Goodwin, the editor. And God, I, I was spoiled. Archie Goodwin was my editor. I, editor. I thought it was going to be like that for the rest of my life. Man, was I being set up! <laughs> I was being conned. It was a con job. Kazachi uh, was leaving, but, so Jim calls me up. he goes, "Don, I'm going to send you that. Uh, I, I'm going to send you the the the. the I have writers who submitted plots for that Vaughn Bunnie painting. I'm going to let you script it. I'll let you script it. I'm going to I'm going to send you the, the plots for um you know that the in I don't I won't name any names, but and a lot of writers that you would know. And I said, well, I don't want them. You don't want what? The scripts. I don't care, I don't wear plots. I do plots. If you want to send me a copy of the painting, I'll look at it. If I find something I want to write about, I'll write about it. Don, you can't afford to do this. I know what I'm paying you. You can't. I said, nevertheless Jim, you can send me the painting if you want me to take a look at it and I come up with something and that ends up being my first printed story in comics. And Billy Graham, because Billy Graham was the art director, put my name and Tom Sutton's name on the cover the first time that ever happened On a Warren magazine, many people I learned later on thought Don McGregor was a pseudonym for some other writer that was like doing work for Marvel or DC, but didn't want Marvel or DC to know it. So their their pseudonym, their fake name, was Don McGregor.
1: Turns out I've been just hosting this panel by myself. Okay, now. (laughs) So now you also mentioned that you did you know with you mentioned Billy Graham. Billy was responsible alongside with Rich Buckler for the work on jungle action in the 1970s, I believe, in the 1960s, 70s, and some of which you might remember for a movie called Black Panther. I don't know if you've heard about it, but it ended up blowing up, and that run, the Panthers, I believe it's Panther's Rage?
4: Panther's Rage. Panther's
1: Rage. Many elements of that book ended up on screen,
4: and... Christopher Priest says that... It, uh, I saw When we saw the premiere of the movie, um, I had never met Christopher Priest before, and uh, so one of the nicest things to come out of doing, uh, of that movie happening, was getting to meet Christopher Priest. And when the movie was over, uh, I didn't know Christopher Timer. time. He said, Don, I'm Christopher Priest, and uh, you don't belong back here with us. You should be up in the front. Um, this is 80% your movie. Definitely. and I think he's probably giving me the best of it but the fact that Christopher would be so kind um, and thoughtful about it and we've gotten to be friends since I can't tell you that's one of the things I personally getting to meet him and uh, to have somebody that talented but, uh, and that smart but also that kind uh, whenever he's speaking uh, about the books he doesn't forget the past he doesn't forget the people who worked on the character before he did and um, you know, I they I, I thank him for that because you could get lost. The history of those books were lost. Everything that the movie is getting praise for, like having an all-black cast, virtually, or um, a lot of the themes that it handled, those are all in the books 40 years ago. However, Marvel editorial was not crazy about those books. Uh, it was a fight all the time. You know, originally when I was given Jungle Action, I was told, "Okay, you." The, the, the whole Marvel line was expanding, and I was on editorial. I was on staff, and uh, so there was kind of an unwritten rules. There's a lot of unwritten rules in comics, and so there's kind of there's kind of there's nothing in writing. But that if you were a writer and you're working on staff, somewhere along the way, you're going to get a chance to write something. And so they thought Action was going to die. They didn't think it was a book that would sell. The Black Panther was not an important character to them at the time. And uh, Jungle Books didn't sell. Uh, Joe Kubert had been doing Tarzan for DC and if he can't sell Tarzan, who thought the Black Panther's gonna sell? Now I got fortunate in another way because I was working on, in editorial up on staff, Rich Buckler had an office up there. And Rich and I both, you know, we were both passionate about comics and storytelling, and thank God for Rich. Rich decided he wanted to do those Panther's Rage. Nobody knew it was Panther's Rage at the time. That's another story entirely, because I would never have been allowed to do it if they knew. It, I had already decided in my head, you could not have, and when they first gave me the assignment, was you can't have him come back to Wakanda and every two months there's a new villain. Like they would just say, you know, Chala, go back to New York. God, we were doing fine here till you showed up. That it all had to be connected. And that led to Killmonger. That there had to be a villain that would, he was strong enough to be a really um, ferocious foe to Chala. And then there'd be some question, could Chala beat this guy? Right. This guy is like, he's so powerful, he's so dynamic. He's, you know, And he's got so much rage in him. Um, now, I had nothing to do with any of the covers on Jungle Action. Everything that's inside those books, that's me. And because of Rich, I got to design a lot of the pages. Because Rich, I said, Rich, can we turn the page on his side so when he goes over the waterfall we can get the most depth? That's the way, if you did that, you had two pages you could come down and you could get the most height out of the waterfall and his descent down it. Yeah, there's again, a,
1: a lot of experimental stuff in those books, especially.
4: And we only had 13 pages every two months. Yeah. That's, that's not a lot of pages to less, you know, ask a reader to come back in two months and care. And that meant if I wrote a character out, one character, if Wakabi didn't show up for a, a book, if Monica didn't show up for a book, whichever the character should be, if you left them off for one book, that's four months between the times the audience gets to see that character. Leave them off for two issues, that's half a year. That's a long time to ask the audience to have any emotional uh, connection to those characters. So it was always important to me that every issue of those characters would have a scene that was theirs, and I was very aware of like introducing the characters to new audiences, but at the same time not repeating myself. So that if you've been reading every issue, you're finding out something new about that character, and it was just you know like it was just a lot of hard work. Just like thinking about it, and continuing to keeping blinders on, um, seeing for, you know over two and a half years, knowing what you wanted to achieve with that story, and seeing that end race line, and that you're going to be able to get there, and, and, and keep the integrity of the story and what you wanted it to be about, when, in fact, just about everybody in the editorial hated it. Uh, they did not want to know a black cast of characters. Uh, they, when they said it was going to uh, the path to set Wakanda, I don't think anybody thought it through. That meant, well, to me, that meant, you, and I would say to them, it's your mythology, not mine. You said Wakanda is a hidden African nation and nobody can find it. And therefore, you couldn't have white people stumbling in every issue, finding Wakanda. Like, how mysterious is that place? And then it was like creating Wakanda because I really wanted to make it a place that was unique to itself. So even with the colors, I would say, you know, that there's never a pale yellow moon in Wakanda. It's always blood red or pink or orange. And, and to be to say, it's always a Frank Fazetta moon. There's always clouds cutting through it. So that, so that you were creating an ambience of the place and that everybody understood that was working on the book that we were doing something that was unto itself, and it wasn't I, 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 had, I wasn't looking at other people's books, I didn't care what other people that's their business uh, i could I could like what they're doing, not like what they're doing, love what they're doing, but that's got nothing to do with doing the book the, uh, the book is only about what's in the next page, what's sometimes in the next panel and and how do we make it the best one that we we can
1: right now, when you mentioned the editorial problems one of which has recently gotten mentioned again through social media with memes and whatnot and misattributed to Jack Kirby. And it's the one time, you know, Kirby's getting credit, but for the wrong thing. And
4: it is... done. Okay. Um, I, as I was saying, I fought bitterly with Marvel editorial for two and a half years because they wanted white people. See, Rich... Rich gave me a really starting point because he did the first half years' worth of books. And that, and because they were only looking at the artwork in the beginning, and they weren't reading the books until they were actually out, then they were going, well, wait a minute, it's just all black characters in here. And so that started to become a running theme about when... And, and also now, I had, already, I, I had never talked about doing this as a graphic novel, but what I did was I had Rich design a logo, Panther's Rage, on the very first page. And I said, then I went into what they had a a stat room in those days that Stu Swartzberg uh, ran. And the stat room essentially took photographs and could shrink it down to whatever size you want. Now everything's done on a a computer. But in those days, they actually had a huge room just for that. And I go to Stu and say, I need you to shoot this down to this size and that size. And so what I would do is, because I was on staff, just before the book was going to go out to the printers, I would go to the splash page without panther 's rage continues <laughs> they didn 't catch on to about book four or five <laughs> and by that time it was too late
1: oh <laughs> well, let him have his fun and
4: so they're well, what were they going to do? It was in the middle, like it was in the middle of a story now, and people were writing about panther 's rage as a real thing, so then either they were going to have to. And, and they, they knew probably that I wasn't gonna be quiet about it. And I, know, I think they're not used to uh, upstart writers. Um, I think that's the reason Steve Gerber and I were always linked together. And I think it's just because it's, Steve and I weren't anything alike as individuals, nor were we alike our, our, our concerns as writers. Um, but the thing that Steve and I did have in common is you never mistook a Steve Gerber book for anything than a Steve Gerber book. And you never mistook a Don McGregor book for anything but a Don McGregor book. You could hate them, and it seemed that those books either inspired love or hate. There was like no in between. Either like, wow, this is great, or man, I really hate this. Editorial, basically, they were in the other corner. And so that was like, but listening to the cons, if I went to cons, and I'm talking to people like you're coming up to the table, it was the fans who are like the audience for the movie now. who They did not want people coming into Wakanda, and it, it, it seemed to me it was becoming more and more important that the white guys didn't come in and have to help, help the black guy defeat the villain. There was no way, I just began to dig my heels in. The, the, the more I did it, the more important it was to keep this thematically, because this is a hero's journey book, and it's very classical literary. Uh, more than probably, at that point in time, cinematic, hero's journey kind of material. Um, because I knew the ending, and I, but by the way, in my entire career, I don't think I've ever told an editor the end of a story. Don, how's this gonna end? Doesn't matter how it's gonna end. You, it doesn't mean anything unless you know how I get there. But by the way, when the little boy kills Killmonger and pushes him off the cliff, oh my God, it was, it was as bad. <laughs> Nobody was expecting that, and I, I saved it to the last page. No one knew. Billy didn't know. Wow. So when that last page came, wait, wait a minute! You did what? <laughs> Be kind of like Game of Thrones right now. Oh yeah. Except the fans were for it. Thank God the fans they they understood what that story was about. Editorial says they never understood what it was about. That Charlie won everywhere. What was important, and at the same time, I felt. There's this message about war, and unfortunately, I think that, that oftentimes comics, it, it, the, 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 you know, the medium would ignore the effects of war, that it is, there's always an a- aftermath. And no matter who wins that, you know, and say, okay, I won. The scars, and what comes afterwards, last for lifetimes. And Killmonger forgets about that little boy Whose father he killed had you know, died because of him, and uh, so to me, like it was like full circle. That's why it always Kato always comes back into the storyline, uh, and Chalo relates to that kid because he sees kind of himself, you know, in in that kid. But does Chalo expect that the kid? No, neither Chalo or Killmonger have the have a clue. They kind of you know Chalo feels bad for the kid. Killmonger doesn't even know he exists until he kills You know, ends right. his life.
1: So now, once again, going back over to that Jack Kirby thing.
4: You want to go? I'm I'm sorry. Okay, so at the end of that story, I decided I I originally wanted to... um, I worry about everything when I'm doing these books. So before I even wrote any of Panther's Rage, I had to have somewhere else to go. I thought, okay, they're all going to be novels. In my head, I already decided. And then there'd be one set Wakanda. And then so I, I didn't want to be writing the same book over and over again. And I literally was going to do this interviews with me talking about it that I was gonna do South Africa and apartheid. And that was actually my next planned book. But during the course of doing Killraven and Panther's Rage, um, my private life was coming apart. I left working on staff to try to save my marriage and it was way too late. She should have told me <laughs> the staff job paid more than writing the comics. And then I had no protection. Once I wasn't on staff, I I couldn't protect, I could not protect my books the way I could. If you're there, people are gonna be less inclined to mess around with your books because you're right there to see that they're doing it and you can see who's doing it. Um, But because I was going through the divorce, I was going to child custody um, to to see my daughter. Um, I'm still with my daughter to this day. Um, I love her dearly. Uh, that was more important to me than the other stuff. But I knew I could not research South Africa and apartheid the way I would need to. I didn't. I didn't have the focus. I didn't have the energy uh, that was going to be required to do that. And it was America's bicentennial, 1976. And I thought, okay, well then I'll bring him. I'll bring him to Georgia because uh, that's where Monica is it comes from and be with her family and that Monica's sister has died and been apparently murdered and maybe by the Ku Klux Klan. Well, (laughs) I don't think they were quite ready for the Ku Klux Klan storyline to be there and it wasn't gonna just be about the Ku Klux Klan. What I really wanted to do a story was about extremism in America and what I saw at that time and understand this is long before the internet, long before the social media, but you could see the Klan was beginning to have a small uprising in various parts of the country. The Reverend Sun Young Moon and a lot of religious cult groups were forming in America, and so you could see that there were these extremist groups. I, you had no idea how, percentage-wise, how large these groups were, but I thought, well, this is something worth writing about um, and, and exploring. Yeah. And so that's what uh, the Panther versus the Klan ended up being about. And I knew I didn't have to research America. I lived there. So uh, like now I could write about, and it was much easier for me to write that story. Um, but they weren't ready for it. And then put, to burn Chala on the cross, uh, I guess that was pretty close to my last book. Um, I mean, they literally called me, and, Don, you can't be doing this. And... Um, I said, you know, for, for two and a half years, you people bugged me for white people. You want white people, you want white people, you want white people. I finally, I give you white people. There's just no so satisfying you folks. <laughs> I said, that Don, what a pain in the ass. And, uh, but to me, I'm really proud of those books. I'm glad they exist. Uh, Billy did a tremendous job on, on them. Um, the opening, the, 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 the third issue of the Panther versus the Klan where Charles is tied to the cross and it says he is not a symbolic Christ figure because so many people in comics apparently in the time thought, oh, the superheroes are all Christ figures, as if this is deep.
1: Wait, does that, does that include four-brush men?
4: Maybe, I don't know. I wasn't paying attention. So... Uh, I'm really glad. Those, I think those pages came off extremely well. Doing the thing, going back into the past with the Reconstruction period after the Civil War, um, those books. And then, then I was planning to bring, do the first Puerto Rican character with Wind Eagle that I had ever done. Um, and but then I was brought into the office, and I promised. This was this is what the last thing I was told. We have to take you off the Black Panther Don because. You're too close to the black experience. Wow. As Dennis Cohen once put it, we were talking, I was talking with Dennis, and Dennis goes, Don, I always thought you were a big black guy. And then I met you, and you're a short white guy. Like and you're, and you're whiter than white. You're like Wonder Bread white. <laughs> Is this what you were expecting out of this? A little bit, yes. You wanted the headlock. I know, ah, you, wanted, I know you wanted the headlock. You're waiting for it.
1: And I got the head tussle.
4: Fantastic. <laughs> so. Are you folks glad you came here today? Yes. All right. Then I'm glad I'm here.
1: So now, also after Black Panther. Are we talking
4: were... about women, though? Well, if oh, you'd no. like to. Never mind. Sorry about that. There's <laughs> just a little side. Forget you heard that.
1: So after Black Cut Panther. Cut that out of the tape. What? (laughs) But anyway, so after Black Panther, you ended up going on to do Saber, which, you know, some people may not realize this. You're actually the pioneer of the graphic novel because that came out, I believe, right before uh, Will Eisner's Contract with God.
4: Yeah, I mean, I know there's some debate about those things. Um, The difference is that, first of all, the book was held up for two years. Because once again, race entered the picture, and Sabre almost didn't get finished for a year and a half. Uh, the artist was not going to finish the book because Melissa was pregnant. And it, apparently it was all right for them to have sex, and it wasn't that everybody didn't know. It was my book. I had created it. Uh, and I, like I, When Dean first talked about publishing, because originally Sabre was being done for Jim Solicrupp, and Jim was doing, gonna do like a, a, a comic-oriented newspaper, and Saber was gonna be serialized in it. But I began, Saber began became too ambitious to be segmented that way. It really needed a format, and I become friends. I'll, I'm gonna hook this all back, and so things, come, how they come full circle. Once I started doing the Black Panther and Kill Raven, I'm suddenly getting people coming to, the, every time I do a convention, uh, every time we do a book, I'm getting 10-page I'm getting letters analyzing these books. Well, believe me, the one thing that everybody sees connected with a book, whether it's the artist, the writer, the editor, they all see the letters. And so, therefore, if I get a letter from you, every single issue, and you're analyzing and you're... You'll be I tired know, of me. <laughs> I know Dean Mullaney, or I know Ed Vire, or I know uh, Frank LeVetra. Or, I met so many people through those books who became... A lot of them went into comics, became lifelong friends. Now Dean Mullaney comes over, and I'm talking to him about Sabre. What I want to do with it, where, in those days, because you didn't have video or anything, I had 16 millimeter prints, we would show, I'd show films. So if friends came over, we'd, we'd put the film on, and have, you know, eat, and have drinks, and watch movies. And so Dean is over one night, and the next day he calls me, he says, hey Don, I'm gonna, I want to. I want to publish Saber. I said, "What do you mean you want to publish Saber? You don't. You don't publish comics." And he goes, "Yeah, but I want to." I said, "Well, yeah. Well, you know, I, I I want my copyrights." He said, "You got it. I have final say in my copy. Nobody can change it." Right. I think I said three or four other things to him, and he just kept saying, "Yeah, right. Okay." And I said, "Well, maybe you better come over here. We better talk. <laughs> we better talk," and we did and I wanna put this in here right now. This is 40 years later in this business and if any of you know anything about the comics business, that people can still be best buddies and work for four decades and still love each other and have a high respect for each other, um, I can only tell you Dean Mullaney is one of my favorite people on the face of the planet. And a lot of things that he deserves credit for and has not gotten credit for, not only did Dean start, because the major difference between Will's book is Will's book could sell everywhere. When we didn't have that, I had this idea you could the comic book stores could support a comic. That the fans, that wanted something different. And at the time, Phil Sullivan, when we came out with the book, we were charging $6 for Saber. You damn well better be, when the books are going for like 40 cents, you can buy a regular comic. You better have something in there the audience can't get anywhere else. Now, I could do anything I wanted, but the limitation was it was 38 pages. That's all I could, that's, so that meant 38 pages would have to compete with three years' worth of books. So when that one book came out, and then the fact that it was held up for almost two years, because the book was written in 1976, and it would have come out probably in 1977, But it was the first book that was marketed just at the comic book stores. And once again, this industry thought I was crazy because they didn't think that was enough of their marketplace. In those days, they really thought the comic book stores accounted for something like 13% maybe of their sales. I think it was somewhere in that area. Um, So they didn't think the comic book stores could. Thank God for you guys out there. (laughs) (laughs) Because so many of you loved that book and supported it and you know then we got to do we got to do more of them and doing like I said to Dean when I first started to do Saber I said there's no sense this this book is going to break all the rules Dean anything that you can't do in comics Saber is going to do else I was just stay at DC and Marvel and do and do those books it, you know if, if, if I'm allowed to do like later on I, I, can I tell Graham story really sure quick? Billy's drawing Sabre later on, because I knew that Billy would not have any problem drawing whatever I came up with. And I knew that I was already going to be pushing. If if the first artist already had a problem with what was in the first one, now I was going to bring gay characters into the mix. Now I was going to have a transsexual character uh, called Deary Decadence. She didn't actually end up in Billy's issues. She ended up later on. But uh, the thing I loved about Deary was her name is Deary Decadence, and her tagline was, she gets to have her cake and eat it too. <laughs> so I really liked Deary, she was a, she was a, a fun character to, uh, to play with and have, but uh, so when we were doing issues, for me Sabre really starts with Sabre number seven. We finally had the right art people and we had, a, Joe Minio came and did a tremendous coloring job on it, and it was the first book where the babies were going to be born. So when Jan Mullaney, Dean's brother, because Dean, this time, was living on the West Coast, Dean would go to Harlem to pick up the artwork for Billy, and then he'd bring it out to me in Brooklyn, and so I could place copies to it. Because I, I kept finding ways to make this more and more work, because I would now hand letter everything out on overlays. Then I would shrink it down to print size. I knew exactly how that book was gonna read. Unlike the the Panther stuff, where I didn't have that capability, you swung at the ball, you hoped you're going to hit it, and and you know, uh, so now I, I had like more control over that. So the first batch of pages, it shows the baby's being born, and I had told Billy, you could be as as explicit as you want, or you could be as, as circumspect as you want. To me, childbirth is a natural thing, and there shouldn't be a problem here. So Jan sees it, comes out to Brooklyn, and he goes, Don, you, you're going to cost us uh, 10,000 copies of sales. And by the way, whether it's a big company or a small company, it's always 10,000 copies of sales. Because <laughs> they did it with Panthers Prey, too, but that's another story entirely. So I said to Jan, so you can't show these babies being born. I said, Jan, this whole book is about, thematically, is about the society's values are all askew. This is happening in the middle of a war. Limbs are being blown off, people are being tortured, and there's childbirth going on, and you're objecting to a child being born. Ask me to take a single act of violence out of this book and I'll take the act of violence out. Yeah, but Dan, that's not the problem. Yes, it is the problem. And you're not understanding what this book is about. So the baby stays. So the next batch of pages that Billy picks up, and that, that, uh, Jan picks up from Billy is the two men kissing. Now, two men kissing in 1983 comics had not been done. So Billy calls me and said, Jan picked the artwork up, Don. I said, Yeah. What do you say? He said, You saw two guys kissing. I said, Yeah. What do you say? He said, Well, he he looked down at the artwork. And then he looked up at me, and then he looked back down at the artwork, and then he looked up at me, and then he looked back down at the artwork for a long time. (laughs) And he was silent. And then he looked up and he said, I guess there's no sense of talking to Don about this, huh? And you know what, it didn't affect sales at all. The, the audience for Saber were 100% four deuces wild So Summer Ice. So the, you know, once again, the world didn't break on the comics medium's head because you had characters in it that hadn't been reflected in comics before. And uh, I'm glad the books exist. Awesome. And for the people that I helped, I mean I had you know, a woman write for like, Detectives Incorporated that lesbian character saying that she'd been thinking about suicide and that book made her decide not to. When you get letters like that, that's part of what this is about. You know, the people that, you know, somebody who was reading Sabre and worked with terminally ill people and uh, said, like, a lot of times I wanna quit. You know, you get, you get attached to people, but you know they're gonna die and you have to go and start all over again. And uh, I said, I can't do what you do. But if my writing this book makes it so you can do that, then that's what this is about.
1: That's amazing. So now, while we have a little bit of time, uh, do you want to answer some fan questions? Yeah. Yes,
4: uh, Mr. McGregor, I was wondering. Don, please, come on. This is an intimate, is this an intimate thing. I think we're having an orgy after this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not, not I was on. not aware of this. You weren't? It. <laughs> oh man, I'm sorry. Uh, Forgive me. I was me. wondering uh, how aware were you of what was going on
0: uh, with the Black Panther movement and Fred Hampton
2: and all of that, and how much did that inform your writing or did it influence you
4: in any way at all? That's a good question. Uh, I think as a writer, for myself, speaking only for myself, you know, you're obviously you're always looking at the world around you and you're trying to see where it's going and you're trying to make some kind of sense out of it and trying to impart it to people at the same time you're trying to tell an exciting story. So if you're doing superhero stuff, I want to give you... Like, for instance, if you look at, at Panther's Rage, it has every iconic jungle genre situation and it, whether it's dinosaurs, whether it's ice caps and giant wolves or crocodiles or throwing waterfalls, all that stuff. It's all, I mean, it's, you know, except it's now, one of the purpose I had was if you made this real and like everything that's happening, what, how do you really feel if you're trapped in the mouth of a Tyrannosaurus Rex and it's trying to close its teeth on you? How does that, and how do you live with that memory? So it was all in the approach of trying to make it, like, suppose the real person had to deal with all that. How do they deal with it? So for the Panther, it was that kind of thing. Um, I don't know that it was politically motivated uh, outside of when seeing how the things that were, physically affecting the average person on the streets. But part of the way, you know, people ask me all the time, well, Don, why did you want to do black characters? Or oh, you didn't, then you did Luke Cage. I did, Luke, Luke Cage is the only book I ever asked for. People think it was because it was a black character. No, I wanted to do a New York City book. And they were never going to let me do Spidey. Not in those days. I did get to do spider by the way. I did the gun story on uh, Spidey. There's something about a gun. But that's because of Jim Salakop, and that's a decade down the line when editorial had changed. All the people who hated me and hated what those books were were gone. And now there were editors who actually liked what I was doing. And that's why I got to do the South African stuff with the Black Panther and Panther's Prey. And that's why I get to do Spider-Man. And those things are all influenced by what was going on at the time, but more probably from talking, like you and I are at a convention. You're telling me stuff, or we're out to dinner with, with people, and, and you're hearing what people are uh, you're know, expressing, or just what you're being exposed to in in the media, and trying to make some analyze it, trying to you know, like crystallize it and get it into a story, so that it's not you know you haven't trivialized it or simplified it. Um, you try to keep, to keep the complexity of the situation in it. And that's just a constant, ongoing, daily thing that you're dealing with. A lot of times, it's not a lot of fun, by the way. It's a, you know, like, if you're going to see where you're being tear-gassed every day, what's your job? Your job is to go in there, what is it like to be tear-gassed? Having been a tear gas, I want to tell you, you don't want to be in it. <laughs> if you can avoid it, yeah, really, Seriously. Steve said to me when he had done the uh, Howard the Duck thing, I shouldn't tell the story, but, <laughs> you know, Steve comes up to me, he goes, Don, Turnabout's Fair Play. I, hadn't, I, don't, I, 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 I know he wrote it, I don't remember it really particularly, but he um, said, so Don, I, I, I wrote about you know something on your books or whatever. You, 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 so Turnabout's Fair Play, you can write something on me. And I, I turned to Steve and said, Steve, I got more important things to write about than you. <laughs> I don't know that Steve took it with the sense of humor or not. Maybe, maybe not so much, I don't know. But we were friends. Steve and I were friends and um, you know, we, we were often thrown together. Uh, like I said earlier, I think it's because we had such individual voices and we had strong sensibilities of what what we wanted to do or not do. And that did alienate us from a number of writers. I mean, I would, I I can remember one writer in particular coming up to me that you would know the name immediately. Well, Don, how come I don't get the kind of letters you get to your books? (laughs) Hell, no, I know. I don't write the
0: letters.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I I had one editor say to me, Don, you only got to write, like, 10 stories this year, probably because of the editor, and, and I wrote 78, and yet you got an Eagle Award. I, how, that's, not, that's not right, that's not fair. I didn't even know I got the award. why is that, how, how is that possible, that you get an award and I don't, when I did so many more stories than you? And I said, I don't know, but that ought to tell you something. <laughs> And I, walked, and I got up and walked out of the office because I knew I wasn't going to get any better than that. If you've if you got, you got a line and you know you delivered it, get on out.
1: <laughs> and also, real quick, on the topic of uh, Steve Gerber, I actually, the very first time I met you was at this con, I believe, 2015. And I walk up to you, I have a copy of Howard the Duck where it's uh, Howard running for president. Right. Uh, and this one website mentioned, you had a story in there. I'm like, oh, uh, would you like to sign us? And you're like, I did. I didn't do anything in this, and it was the most beautifully awkward moment, much like me retelling this story right now.
4: But, <laughs> <laughs> I, but I was around when Steve was doing how the, the duck for president, because we were all over at Mad Genius. I mean, Steve and I were we were friends. If you look, if you go on my website, there's an obituary to Steve, and it tells a, a number of intimate stories of of times with Steve throughout the years. So don't think, I mean, after I was gone for Marvel Comics, I was over at Mad Genius, which was Steve Gerber and Jim Salakup and, and uh, Dave Kraft, and when I uh, ended up living on the bar with Janie Ahrens, Janie was Steve Gerber's first girlfriend. And Janie, was, she was just a pioneer woman. She had come in from St. Louis, Missouri. She took over what essentially had been a sweatshop in Anabari in lower Manhattan. And she built a bathtub, bedrooms, made it so she could rent places out. And she had been renting out to women. And uh, I guess she told Steve, I, I'm tired of renting out to women, it's just too much trouble. And, and so then I, she rented it out to me and then Janie and I really became fast friends. Unfortunately Janie died and I can't believe she's not in the world anymore. Um, but she, I, I remember one time I had to go to the hospital And Jenny, you go to this hospital down, I'm gonna take you there, because they gotta take you in here. The other hospitals, they may let you die out there, but here, they gotta take you. And she built built her own, she bought her own uh, building in uh, Tribeca, and in the beginning, she was like, she would go and junkies would be in the, the bottom of the building. She'd go in at one o'clock at once. She'd be going out with her dog. She had a lab. Uh, and Mac would never hurt anybody. Mac was the gentlest dog. I, she, and I said, Janie, where are you going? She said, oh, I'm going to go chase the junkies out of my building. No, I'll be back in about a half hour, done. Okay, Jane. <laughs> go do it. So she was great. And uh, so, yeah, you should think, we really, uh, you know, uh, like, uh, thanks for the Steve, I had a really place, a, a, a great place, because it was huge. We had three quarters of a city block. You know what? We got five. Five minutes? Yes. Who cares? <laughs> gonna, we, we may be like, Trump may be hard to get us out of office. <laughs> Can they get us off this table? What are they gonna do? <laughs>
1: So I think that's about going to wrap it up for today. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you you very
4: much. Peter, was it okay? Hell yeah, it was.
0: I got headlocked.
1: (laughs) Once again, big thank you to Cliff Galbraith of East Coast Comic Con for letting us attend the show, and letting me be able to speak with Don at that panel. So if you're ever in New Jersey, I highly recommend checking out East Coast Comic Con at the Meadowlands Expo Center. I believe it's going to be held at the same venue next year. Yeah, and it's a
0: caucus usually end of April, maybe beginning middle of May thereabouts, so uh, set your dial accordingly.
1: Cliff Galbraith, Crucial Entertainment, everybody involved, big, big, big thank you. So Sorry I missed you guys. Before we head out, let's tell people at home our names. What's
0: our names?
1: For the Marvelous, I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie
0: Wilson. Excelsior. All right, now it is time for... Another edition of Obsessed with Marvel. Our chance to prove with more finality how much or little we know in this here book. 2,500 questions. This one is question number 1,195. Armbar. And 1195 takes us to the center of the... Universe. ...page, which features a reprint cover of Alpha Flight number
1: one. Boy, that's something that keeps popping up this weekend for me. Well,
0: before we started recording this podcast, you were talking Alpha Flight, and here we are.
1: Yeah. So,
0: by the way, side note, I have to add... Well, may I? You may. Okay. Alpha Flight number one, John Byrne, artist I love. I don't think he knows it, but I have a lot of his stuff. Just comic books, nothing further. First, very first comic book that I intentionally bought twice. Really? Yes. The others were accidents, but (laughs) I duplicate almost every time. It's Well, not, you get it. First comic book I intentionally got two copies of.
1: In case one broke down?
0: Or just liked it so much.
1: So nice you bought it twice. Exactly. So there.
0: So the question goes, born in the United Kingdom, writer-artist John Byrne grew up in Canada and did his early work for Marvel there, including the Uncanny X-Men, before moving to the United States. As a Canadian, Byrne took an interest in his countryman Wolverine and created an entire team of Canadian superheroes called Alpha Flight in Uncanny X-Men, 120-121, referenced as 1979. Byrne was the original writer and artist for Alpha Flight's own series, which debuted in 1983. And yes, as we said, issue one is shown at the right of this book. The team team was organized for the Canadian government, led by James MacDonald Hudson, alias Guardian, who had originally intended for Wolverine to lead Alpha Flight. But Wolverine had quit serving the Canadian government to join the X-Men. The question, who was not a member of Alpha Flight when the team first appeared? Is it A, Shaman, or Shaman if you prefer? Is it B, Snowbird? Is it C, Sasquatch? Or is it D, Puck? Who was not a member of Alpha Flight when the team first appeared? It's got to be Shaman. Shaman, Snowbird, Sasquatch, Puck. Well... I wasn't sure, but I thought maybe as a cheat to look at the cover, and I do see Shaman. He is, okay. I'm gonna go, and you know what? Snowbird is there too. That was where my guess was gonna go. Sasquatch is there, and of course Puck is there as well. I don't know. I, I'm I'm thinking Snowbird myself, I'm not sure why. But we'll go Snowbird then. Let's try letter B. No, the answer is D. Puck. Puck no. Yeah, I guess so. Well, really, we really, really need work here. So let's try again for some kind of redemption, at least to get something correct. 613. The question says, where did Miguel O'Hara work in the first issue of Spider-Man 2099? I know this one. In 1992. Where did Miguel O'Hara work? Empire State University? Alchemex, Banetronics or Psionics. Where did Miguel O'Hara work in the first issue of Spider-Man 2099? Empire State University, Alchemex, Baintronics, and or Psionics. And I think I'm with Alchemex also. So let's just hit it. B.
1: Yes. Because I recently read that issue.
0: Good deal. And I think I may have seen something that had Alchemex in it. So it kind of clicked. So Spider-Man into, place. into
1: the Spider Verse.
0: That could do it. That was okay. It. So we're and I've one watch
1: that movie enough times to know that. I
0: <laughs> say so, yes, especially since you were going to do a cosplay. All uh, right, question 163 What makes the Super Scroll different from other members of the Alien Scroll race? Oh, this should be easy, should be, but let's see. He has all the superpowers of the Fantastic Four. That is true, I believe. He has superhuman hypnotic abilities, his body contains power receptors that draw energy from cosmic rays, or all answers are correct. I have to say that while I originally thought he has all the superpowers of the Fantastic Four, which I think is a given, and almost an average comic book aficionado would know that, I think when they do this, when they set these questions up, the answer becomes all answers are correct, which means he has superhuman hypnotic abilities, and his body contains power receptors that draw energy from cosmic rays. So let's go, shall we, with D. Yes! So that's two out of three. Ain't bad. That's right, meatloaf.
1: Delicious, right?
0: I thought you ate dinner already. Okay, should we press on? Why not? Because we're on a something. Kaiser roll. It's back to the FF. How did the Fantastic Four gain their superpowers in the alternate timeline of Marvel 1602? I'm hoping I can recall what I read months ago. I did read this this, narrator, w- this run. How did they gain their superpowers? of FF. From magic. <laughs>
1: Whoa, oh, oh. Yeah. You know.
0: <laughs> From exposure to radiation during a balloon voyage in the upper atmosphere. <laughs> I'm sorry. Can you take a balloon voyage in the upper atmosphere? I don't know if the, 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 the weightlessness will... Anyway. Ba-da-da. from a wave of energy in the Sargasso Sea or from aliens visiting from another world. Here, have some powers. <coughs> it's, it's, it's on us. They just hand it to him. Uh, Fantastic Four, superpowers from magic, exposure to radiation during a balloon voyage in the upper atmosphere, from a wave of energy in the Sargasso Sea or from aliens visiting from another world. I, I think it's just magic.
1: You know, oh, oh Yeah,
0: let's go with magic. Never believe it's not so. so. let's try A, okay? no. <laughs> It's from a wave of energy in the Sargasso Sea. <laughs> i to do a reread of 1602, I guess. I read the compilation book because when I bought the series, it was missing one, I, which I subsequently acquired. And it was, a, it was a decent read. Definitely a different take on the characters. But Eddie, I think don't I need to... do give your
1: wrong answer any more excuses. I need a re- re- reread.
0: <laughs> With all I have to read, I'm going to do a reread. Are you kidding me? All right. 2 and 2. So, how about a tiebreaker? <laughs> oh geez. Of number of a fifth question. Oh, can you handle it? The agony. Question number 1356 and any of the peat. It is What is the relationship between lifeguard and slipstream? In extreme X-Men.
1: I haven't touched this at all. Oh, this will be a fun one then.
0: The relationship between lifeguard and slipstream. Sister and brother, cousins, Colleagues, Wife and Husband, Lifeguard and Slipstream. I need a clue, please, but it's not coming. Sister and Brother, Cousins, Colleagues, Wife and Husband. Take a shot.
1: Like an Ozzy Osbourne shot in the dark.
0: Yeah, good song. Lifeguard, Slipstream, Extreme X-Men. Colleagues, I take a guess i'll pick pick something else but i'll pick what i picked colleagues you really you don't want to be right
1: we might be right oh billy joel
0: we may be right no it's not colleagues it's sister and brother i think we're done here i would imagine that's our five obsessed with marvel how many more to go who knows stay tuned